good internet welcome to a new episode of the light as always i'm joined by the ever unpredictable detron edwards and the mythical diabolical john l fellas what's up what's good what's up what's up what's up scott first things first man how was your week man how how you feeling everything's good man it's a little somber you know it's it seems like the last several episodes i've been talking about people passing away and uh you know it just seems to be you know, it is the natural course of things. It is the uh, business side of life. And, uh, you know, this 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 past uh, Tuesday, I don't even remember the date, to be honest with you. <laughs> Everything's been a blur. But my uh, father passed away. So, you know, things were a little challenging for my family and everything. But, uh, you know, we're bounded by God and we're definitely strengthened by his word. So... You know, we definitely got through it, and uh, we'll continue to manage through it because it is just the business side of life. You know, the spirit continues. You know, so uh, the shell that he once occupied is no longer here, but uh, his spirit is definitely within all of us. You know what I'm saying? Hey, most definitely, man. Most definitely, and um, you know, as we talked about offline, I mean, Detron and I are here for you. We're more than just you know your co-hosts on this show. We're also your brothers, man. You know, I hope you felt that. I mean, we definitely were sincere about that, man. We're here for you. Glad that you got this outlet. You bring a lot to the table. You have this platform, you know, to to speak your mind and to get things off your chest. So feel free to do that. All right? No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. My father was one of those people who uh, definitely. He didn't hide behind his flaws. He didn't hide behind uh, anything. He was real out in front with it. He was a real authentic dude. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, Scott, you asked a few times. I think that you even asked once before on, you know, one of the episodes that uh, what do we look for in MCs? And my my answer, because that question has been posed a couple different times, my answer has been consistent with authenticity. And one of the things that I can definitely say about my father is that he was a very authentic individual. So, uh, you know what I mean? You, you knew where he stood. You knew the type of person he was from the moment he walked in the door. He didn't shy away from it. And if you wanted to try to uh, say anything about it, he'd break your whole face. So, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> authenticity. The apple don't fall too far from the tree because you just like them, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your folks might understand you by and by. Just move on up toward your destination. Understand you by 
back man be glad you're back we can't do this show without you man um as am i man this is therapeutic this is this is wonderful to be back mm-hmm that's wrong we looking for you man where you at i'm chilling man you know doing my thing just you know i like to just say you know from the day we're born we start to die and any uh anything i can help john out with getting through that is is here you know my heart goes out to him and you know the light podcast shows got your back no matter what brother. absolutely yeah I bought somebody along that wanted to talk to you. Uh-oh. Wanted to say offer their condolences and they wanted to speak to the show and, and let everybody know okay. they're still around. Okay. Now, could, ne- Negro, would you stop? Put that down. Well, about how Uh-oh. much do it weigh? Scott. I, Scott. Just Scott. help. <laughs> hey, what's what's going on there, y'all? You know, hey, what's up? This is JL. I know you know it. me. I know. Oh, remember me? What's going on? Remember me, boy? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. You know, I ain't doing nothing but chilling. You know, that's all I do is chill. You know, this, hold on, cut. I just wanted to know about how much do it weigh? Yeah, I know it's your TV. I just wonder how much it weighs. That's all. <laughs> you know, hey. But I just want to come out here and tell all of y'all in Radio Land, JL is still on the scene. You know, they tried to take my geo-tracker, and then they tell me today while I come up here to the station, I can't park my geo-tracker on the street. So you know what I did? I said, the hell with the man. I've double parked my geo-tracker right out there in the street. You know, it's New York. You ain't got you to do what you want to do. That's what I'm talking about. Shoot. But while I say that, I'd like to offer my condolences to you, John. 
No, my cousin said that uh, you know you, you you had some problems there. I just like to say appreciate brother, that. You know, hey, I'm with you. Um, other things I like to say is, do you have thirteen dollars and ninety nine cent? That's my next car payment, man. I need I need thirteen dollars and ninety nine cent. I tell you what I'll do. I have seven dollars and thirty five cent because. I had a friend of mine growing up, uh, her name was Noelle Bates, and she had a Geo Tracker. We used to ride around in it. So I got a little love for you and that Geo Tracker. So I got $7.35 for you, brother. That's what I can give you. Brother. Oh, boy, you light skinned. You got money. You had, you know, you, you're halfway to the white. That means you got good credit. <laughs> oh, at least co signed for the last $24 of our own. $24. Hey, I owe $24. Oh, Mr. Education. Mr. Education over here. See, cuz, this is why I told you, stop hanging with these high fluid and these light-skinned boys, because they don't know how to act. God damn it. I don't think I'm trying to tell my G.O. tracking. I got to go. See, every damn time I come around y'all people, I think somebody's setting me up. I got to go. All right. You be Yo, good. Man. You be good. Yeah, uh, yeah I call. I don't care. <laughs> I call no sense. Get the hell out, my stuff. How many years? How many years he been paying on that thing? They were in the eighties or nineties. Which one? Geo Trackers came out when? A little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit. Of both. I think it was a little bit of both. It was like eighty-eight to like ninety-four. This dude is like Cole Brown from Martin. He's like a pacer. <laughs> I still got payments on my pacer. Hey, man, How do you double park? It's a, and it's a geo tracker at that. But hey, this being the holidays, this being the Christmas, the unofficial Christmas episode of the Light Podcast, I felt we all talked about it and we all came together and agreed that we should do something big. Ice Cube is one of those dudes, man, in the hip hop game that. You know, I'm not going to compare him to LL, you know, for the simple fact to keep the respect. But um, he's been in the game almost as long, and he's been putting out material that I believe is on par with someone of that stature. Exactly. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It goes along with the engineering, too. Like, the people that actually did his engineering and... You know, Dre had a hand in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was speaking to someone yesterday who sat up there and said, you know what, you got to think about it. The Dre pretty much made a lot of hit kings out here. Like, he made a lot of kings in the business that are still out here running stuff in the business mm-hmm. off of Dre's old hits and beats. So, you put Ice Cube in there with that, his engineering, his, his producing, all of that stuff along with him and his lyrics, please. Top 20, 15, or 10 uh, rappers out there in, in the world. I agree with you 100, 150%, man. I mean, I, I hate lists. I hate top 10, top 20 lists and all that. Not because, I mean, I definitely understand why they exist and you need them. You need to be able to understand where these artists fall in the echelon of things, man. There's, there's always, you know, a, a best, you know, and things of that nature, man. But Ice Cube definitely belongs in that group. 100%. You can even go top 10. So many stories. There's so much background involved with the creation of the character that is Ice Cube from his days at NWA, from the split that was well documented even in his last movie, Straight of Compton. Ice Cube wrote just about all their lyrics. And Ice Cube actually was being listened to in New York with certain things that he put out before people actually knew he was Ice Cube from NWA. So for that brother to be accepted on the East Coast before they knew where he was from because of his lyrics. 
And then when it came in NWA, he changed him and his group changed the whole culture. And he's still relevant now, whether it's movies or lyrics. You gotta, you gotta believe that's some serious stuff. I agree, and it was, you know, you learn some things, man. I mean, you're not living if you're not learning, man. And watching that straight out of Compton flick, I mean, one of the things, like you said, that that you know probably wasn't as as well as publicized was the impact of Ice Cube in those early days of N.W.A. The fact that he was back there writing the lyrics for for most of them tracks and things of that nature, and then of course the drama that revolved around his separation from the group, which then became the release of, of one of the most iconic debut albums of all time as America's Most Wanted. When Ice Cube went to New York, got up with Public Enemy, you know what I'm saying? And, and it came out with this classic LP that we're going to talk about together here on the show. Yeah, you know, and that's, and that's kind of like one of the things, man. I mean, you already knew, and we talked about it before, man, that authenticity piece. So when he came away from N.W.A., it wasn't as if he tried to break away and be something different. He stayed Ice Cube. Yeah. But he even became more, he personified what you thought Ice Cube should be even more. You understand what I'm saying? Because you saw him in the group. He, to me, was one of the henchmen. So now he's that whole henchman who now has the microphone and he's out front. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's crazy how... It's crazy how he made you love the hitman. I want to get controversial here for a second. The California hip-hop scene, the California hip-hop game is, is crucial. I mean, there's some talented brothers and sisters out there, man. But let me ask you guys here as we close out the introduction segment. Where does Ice Cube sit? If you were to put him, you know, and talk about the whole West Coast, the whole Cali West Coast scene, where does Ice Cube sit in that group? Now, keep in mind, I mean, you got Tupac, you got Snoop, you have, you know, E-40, you know, there's a whole crew of, of, of legitimate, hardcore, you know, hip-hop artists that, that, you know, came out of Cali. But where does Ice Cube sit amongst them? Amongst just the West Coast. We're just saying the West Coast. Just, we're doing West Coast for now. We're going to get into the whole, the whole scene as we discuss the okay. album. I'm talking just West Coast right now. All right. So if we're just talking West Coast... And if we're talking about a, uh, a rating system, lyrical content, or are we talking impact on the game? All of that. Put all that into or, the pot. Or, okay, okay, all that, all that. Because this impact in the game, I think, was uh, a little bit more significant than his lyrical content. Don't get me wrong, his lyrical content is straight fire. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's revolutionary. It's, you know, coming from a very poignant and kind of, you know, I don't want to say hopeless perspective, mm-hmm. but when you're looking at life in a way of survival because of the institutionalism that exists around you, you know what I mean? You, then you hear what he's saying. It's just not all about drugs, hoes, guns, and niggas. It, it, it's deeper than that. You know, I think a lot of people hear it on that surface and they stop. So his lyrics are definitely, you know, point on. Point on. Uh, he's in, I would put him in the top 10 of West Coast's uh, MCs. Okay. You actually said something that, that, that made me pause for a second, man. You talked about how you're going to slice this up. You talk about rating um, a hip-hop artist. Now, again, keep in mind, I hate lists. I hate lists because they're subjective. 
right? Who you feel is dope and hot may not be who Detron feels is dope and hot, may not be who I feel is dope and hot. But yet we all kind of somehow in the hip hop community come together and try to put these artists into slots on a list that we end up just arguing about at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? But um, one of the things you said, John, was that, hey, you know, how are you going to rate this? Impact, lyrically, blah, blah, blah. So that raised another question in my head. And I think I want to put one thing to bed. From an impact standpoint, I think there was no other hip hop artist that came out of the West that was impactful as Tupac. Can we agree on that, at least? Exactly. I could say that, yeah. Yeah. John? Tupac was I that can, dude. I can yeah. agree with that. I can agree with that. As from, far as impact, from, we're, talk, we're yeah. talking about impact. Just impact. In your face, punch you in the mouth, hip hop artist, it's Tupac. From a lyrical standpoint, now we're starting to get into what this thing is about. From a lyrical standpoint, I think, you know, do you put Ice Cube above or below Tupac? See, you asking both you're asking some pretty tough. <laughs> you got to do it. Some pretty tough questions. We, we got to get it in. Got it, but on the intro, <laughs> on the intro, all right, we haven't even unwrapped it yet. <laughs> um, your but your question is very because it's sensitive. Tupac had an yeah. impact. Yeah. Tupac had a great impact. Yeah, beyond doubt. Beyond doubt. Q from a lyrical perspective, total catalog, deeper lyrics. You're going catalog to catalog, deeper lyrics. I agree. Tupac didn't hit his arc until after he came out of prison. Tupac's lyrics on a lot of his stuff to me was a lot of industry versus substance. If you know what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? He would, he, would, he would drop some bangers. You know what I mean? He would drop a Brenda's Got a Baby, but at the same time, he would drop, you know what I mean? Something real, real corny. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, and just in my opinion, just in my opinion, I mean, like you said, it is subjective. You know, catalog for catalog, Cube definitely has a deeper set of lyrics. Wrong. Go ahead, Dan. Wrong. What you got, man? Wrong. No, he does not have a deeper right. set. All right, give it to you. Okay. Listen, Pop's lyrics to me was more deep in thought than Ice Cube's was. Ice Cube's was telling you what he saw in the streets from his neighborhood, his perspective. Pac told you the same thing, but Pac also opened your enlightenment of consciousness on a different level. Cube just had you sitting there believing everybody in the hood. Like, I didn't want to go to Cali listening to Cube. I was like, man, shit, I'm getting, I'm gonna get stand on the corner, get an ice pop, get shot. Mm -mm, that's not me, I didn't want to go there. But Pac made you believe that anything was possible. You could grow up, be a man that thugs could love and God was open to letting thugs in heaven. Remember, when he asked that one question, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto? Yeah. That was the fact that he thought like, yo, you know, in my eyes of listening to it, you know, can heaven love thugs? The stuff we do down here on earth, does heaven accept us and love us for you know, forgive our sins and bring us in up there. Pot and he opens your mind and enlighten you to that. Cube never did. So yeah, his catalog may be bigger because he had more albums and, and Pot passed away. But as far as lyrical, Pot didn't pass away. Pot got killed. Pot didn't get killed. He got assassinated. Let's say that because when you got a movement going that strong on the East Coast and the West Coast, any movement 
to take away the drive of that movement, what do you do? You kill the leaders of that movement, just like they did with Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Huey, uh, the Kennedys. They take those people out when you're starting to get a, mov a movement or a motion going in a certain direction because people don't know that Pac and Biggie were actually starting to forgive each other. And they were getting ready to try and bring the West Coast and East Coast back together. They were getting ready to squash all that beef. But what do you do to keep the rise going, to keep, you know, you cut the head off the snake, but the snake is still moving. Sorry to cut you off. I don't think Tupac got assassinated. I think he got shot, yo. I think he got killed. Because to me, assassination involves, like you just described, like a whole deeper plot. And do you think there was that deep of a plot following behind Tupac? Behind Tupac? Yeah. I think because they said that Tupac wanted out of death row. He wanted away from the drama and the issues that death row was bringing. You hear the stories and the, the actual tape calls of people talking about the West Coast this and the beef with West Coast, East Coast, and how they're talking about Pox this, Pox that, or Bigs this, Bigs that. Those two people were the leader of a movement. And you take them away. Like I said, Black Panther movement, it killed, you killed Huey. It was later on, but you killed Huey. If you couldn't kill him, you put the, the, Black Pan the leader of the Black Panthers in prison. When you sit up there and you talk about the Kennedys, the Kennedys were about to change a lot of stuff around, give you know more rights to blacks. What did you do? You killed them. You killed the oldest one first. And then when his brother was about to step up and take his place, you killed him. When you sit up there and you have Martin in place, and Martin's gonna sit up there and talk about peaceful this, peaceful that, and you say, hey, you know, we gotta sit up here and get this and that, as they also say that there, there were uh, people alongside Martin that were involved in that, whether they were black, white, whatever, they were involved in that plot to kill Martin. Then when you sit up there and you go to um, Malcolm X, I mean, it's not no secret to sit up there and you, uh, <laughs> you hear, get your hand out my pocket. It wasn't a white man saying that in that room. It was a black man. And then when they sit up there and they talk about the FBI was involved, come on, man, it's the, all plots, all plots to do hurt, harm as far as murder, and those plots are assassinations. So, getting back to our topic, do I think Tupac was deeper than Ice Cube lyrically? Yes. Do I think his, you know, his catalog smoker? No, because he was assassinated. Tupac was damn near the Pied Piper of the West Coast. Let's say that. And the dude was good. Yeah, this definitely. Even though, he, even though he's from the East Coast, mm -hmm. he was good. There's, there's, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of emotion anytime you start talking about Tupac who was I mean forget about East Coast forget about West Coast I mean from a hip-hop standpoint from an African-American standpoint you know what I mean he was our shining prince you know what I'm saying so there's always like to me anytime anytime you talk about Tupac there's emotion involved so it's kind of hard to be you know objective you know when talking about what his impact was to the hip-hop game or you know what he brought to the table lyrically. So I mean, like I said, I mean we could we could go on and, and talk about this for the next three hours. And I think we should probably save most of this for a Tupac episode, which I know for sure we're gonna do at some point. But um, what I want to do before I close out the intro is uh, have one ask one more question: Yes or no? Is Friday the greatest hood flick? 
the best hood flick out there. It's Friday's got to be right. You're talking about the whole series? The number one, just Friday, just the first one. I can't stand the other one. Damn, Scott. I'm really, I'm really thinking. <laughs> right, right. I, I, it's because now you got me thinking of, see, because to me, a hood flick is a cornbread Earl and me. A hood flick's a coolie high, even though they're black exploitation because they're back in that era when those movies were being made. But they're movies about the hood. Or are you talking about like just kind of like, right? I mean, oh, baby boy. He said baby boy. <laughs> It's a hood flick, though. Friday. Hood Friday's better. Wedding, <laughs> wedding Justice. You got hood flicks out Come on. <laughs> They're hood flicks. Bro, did you hear? Did you hear? I'm talking car wash. I'm talking car wash. You're talking. Now, car wash is the greatest hood flick of all time. That's what I say. Okay. Right. See, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So you so so you gotta, you know, eat. Yeah, but my thing is, man, I'm not gonna talk about Friday while be, you know what I mean, going over the album, but you can't mention Q without mentioning Friday. You see what I'm saying? No doubt. Or yeah. or barbershop. Yeah. I mean, he 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 did the uh Will he did the Will Smith but from gangster rap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He did it from a gangster rap perspective. Because if you look at Cube, like, you know, his first few albums, Cube was angry. You know what I mean? America's Most Wanted, you listen to his lyrics, dude's angry. So he went from that to being able to make kid movies, to being able, like you said, to make Friday, and to be believable in that. So he had to talk about a total character 180. You know what I mean? He had to do that. And and uh, one of one of my favorite NFL coaches, one of his favorite, one of one of his favorite parts is a uh, top flight Craig, top flight security Craig. <laughs> no doubt. All right, fellas, you guys ready to get this in? Let's go. All right, let's do it, fellas. This week we get back and focus on yet another classic album, America's Most Wanted. You're listening to the Light Podcast, and as always, you can reach us on Twitter at the Light Podcast or our Facebook page. Just search for The Light Podcast and drop us a message. We always respond, and we always show love. Now, a little knowledge for your brain. to give you guys a little hip-hop history and enlighten your mind with uh, black history also. So, the little hip-hop history I'd like to give you today is this album 
pretty much goes down in infamy, not just because it was called infamy, but just because it was a key album to a lot of people and used in a lot of different ways. And this group is legendary. So today in hip hop history, Mob Deep released their fifth album, Infamy, December 11, 2001. Now, a lot of you may not even understand or, or think about it that Mob Deep had that many albums. Some of them weren't even checked for in the beginning, number one and number two. Some of the songs on there were, you know, checked for, some of them weren't. But they had that many albums. And the group split up and has recently reconciled after a long beef between Havoc and Prodigy. So, Hats Off to them, Salute, Mob Deep released their fifth album, Infamy. Now, December 12th, 1938, the U.S. Supreme Court rules in Missouri that the state must provide equal educational facilities for blacks within its boundaries. Lloyd Gaines, the plaintiff in the case, disappeared shortly after the decision and was never located again. So as we sit up there and we listen to something like that, a, a very important decision. Think about those that gave up so much, not just for, for black people, but they gave up their lives or sacrificed so much for equality. And as we see, Lloyd Gaines never heard from again after the decision was decided by the Supreme Court. Think about that when you feel you don't want to go to school, you don't want to do things in life, or you feel somebody else shouldn't have the equal opportunity that you should have. So many sacrifices for it. So let's all enjoy it. That's your Black History Moment and your Hip Hop History Moment. Peace. With no remorse, kid, it's the cold-hearted. Queens can't grind me retarded, you know. See the me or you, believe me, dog. I know it like you ain't got to lose. Look, but you walk in that thin line. I'm clapping the first time for a I'm trying. And put it past me, that ass would be bleeding somewhere like a hemophiliac. Exactly. Before it's too late, go with your gut. You ain't a gangster, and yes, you can get touched. Saw it before, the handy was talking. It wasn't him, but you know the stop that. Well, I swear to you, like, why is that? Cause he's always laying on a back. I gotta get away. But bump that, never let a camera take me out my zone. If he tried, then blow him and go. With no remorse, kid, it's the cold hearted. Queens can't grind me retarded, you know. get away.
Yeah, I got some last words. Fuck all y'all. Switch. Was America willing to maintain order? No matter what the cost. All right, fellas, check it out, man. I've been waiting to do this for a long time. Does that sound familiar? I say that every album we do. This one, this one's for real this time. Marigold's More Wanted, one of the most important debut albums, I think, from any artist for a lot of different reasons. But if I could say one thing about this album, is Ice Cube mad or no? Yeah, <laughs> as the kids today would say, is Ice Cube mad or nah? But yeah, he's definitely mad. I mean, when you when you look at Ice Cube, man, and look at where he was when he released this, he wasn't a new artist. And let's first walk it back for a second and understand who Ice Cube is. What is the slang term for when you kill somebody in the streets back in the day, back in the 70s, all black exploitation films? Uh, wax, Merc. Uh, nah, 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 that's 90s, that's 80s. Yeah. Think 70s. Bro, 70s, I was still sucking on a baby's bottle back then, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, did you ice that fool, man? Did you ice that fool? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, you remember that now, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so Ice Cube, when you think about Ice Cube, he was the hit for NWA. Mm. So, of course, he's angry. He's the freaking hit man, yo. The hit man got to be angry. What did the Hulk say in the Avengers? Or, uh, you know, Bruce Banner, before he turned into the Hulk, they... Are you angry? He said, what y'all don't understand is I'm always angry. Boom. And then he turns into the Hulk, right? Yeah. You know, that's the that's the hitman of the crew. The Hulk's the hitman. It's like Ice Cube is the hitman of NWA. So yeah. Oh yeah, he's definitely angry. What you think, Dad? I think so. He kept this out from NWA and brought it over to his uh solo album style and just kept it hardcore and angry and as what it is, telling the story about where he came from. Ain't nothing to be happy about where he came from. So and the stuff he experienced. So he just said, you know, listen, I'm gonna, you know, I was with NWA. The deal was foul. I didn't like what was going on. We were getting screwed over there. So I'm gonna go on my solo project, but I'm gonna still keep it Ice Cube. I'm gonna still keep it Hood. I'm gonna still keep it as what I want to be. And that's exactly what he did. And he just kept that angry attitude style, and he brought it all the way over to his solo project and it just it just happened to work with his solo project because as we know most of the raps that were written in nwa were written by ice cube so for them to be angry was pretty much just a reflection of what ice cube was so when he left them and came over to being himself that that style transitioned all the way over to just being on the solo project being angry it helped him also get a chance to bring his own friends and his family out on on wax and, and be himself you bring up like a real real good point with that man it's like it's like yo it's like you know ice cube it took a lot of balls to do that well i don't think it took a lot of balls i think it took exactly what created him to start turning around mm -hmm. but still have that edgy style and that was to get with someone else mm -hmm. who had an edgy style who had an anger style mm -hmm. What was smooth about it, and that was Chuck D. Because people don't know, a lot of people may not know this, when Ice Cube left NWA, he didn't stay on the West Coast. He shot right over here to the East Coast. And this is where his first album was cut at. P, it was PE's production team. That's why you have, I think it's two or three songs on here, where you have Chuck D and Flav on his album. And you hear the transition from Ice Cube being that angry NWA, that nigga with attitude, and that dude just sit up there and say, we're going we gonna to shoot you with a short off, sawed off, we're going to shoot you with this and that, to where he starts trying to wake people up in his lyrics. 
So he kept the edginess. Let me wake my people up and stop talking about shooting and killing. I'm not gonna sit up there and say, I'm gonna turn it all down, but I'm gonna sit up there and I'm gonna keep that in there. I mean, a lot of people probably don't even know uh, Ice Cube had a uh, you know, architectural uh, degree. I definitely didn't from know a, that. Uh, yeah. From a community college. Mm-hmm. So he didn't make it. He always had that to fall back on. Ice Cube was smart. I, w- I wanna go back to something you said in, in- in the beginning of your statement, you was talking about, you know, when Ice Cube left. Think about when he left N.W.A. That first album, that shook the world right there. And Ice Cube left in the middle of all of that. And you know the crazy thing? When Ice Cube left N.W.A., he took N.W.A., quote unquote, N.W.A. with him. They wasn't never the same after that. No, they weren't. Let's, let's really be clear about that. He didn't leave because he wasn't cool with everybody in the group. He left because he was telling them, listen, something was wrong with the money. So for him to make that move away from them to create this album was big. So he did take NWA with him. He took the wind out of their sails pretty much by going on his own. No doubt. We get to America's Most Wanted, right? And that you said it perfectly. You said before he went to PE. I mean, that's Bomb Squad. You see what I'm saying? I mean, he went right into Bomb Squad and, uh, you know, had them produce his album. And um, I think that was a genius move. P.E., specifically Chuck, was basically, you know, telling Q what he wanted to hear as far as, you know, he could come over there, use Bomb Squad, and he can get his message out the way he wanted to do it. And I think that was a genius move. I mean, Bomb Squad produced his whole album, and um, they destroyed it. That was the perfect marriage. Ice Cube, Bomb Squad, Chuck D., Flav, it doesn't get no better than that. No doubt. Getting into the intro to America's Most Wanted, the intro Better Off Dead, I mean, I listened to it a few times. I don't think I necessarily thought too much about the intro when I first heard this album. I mean, I was like a freshman in high school, sophomore in high school, something like that. But you listen to it now, it starts to all make sense. I mean, he's in prison. He's on death row specifically, and um, he's being led to the electric chair. So this is... In my opinion, what this is, you know, obviously it's a symbolization. It symbolizes the old Ice Cube is being put to death, you know, to bring, to make way for the birth of this, the new Ice Cube on his solo career doing his own thing. I think you're correct. I think he was actually killing that persona of Ice Cube, the NWA Ice Cube, and create the Ice Cube that should have been, as far as what he looked at it. The Ice Cube that should have been able to do what he wanted to do and move away from NWA because even after he left NWA, you didn't see any more talk about arresting him because of his lyrics. Right. That was when he was with NWA. They arrested him for that. Once he left them, you ain't hear nothing no more about, oh, we're going to arrest, you know, Ice Cube or this and that. They still had problems with NWA, but they didn't have no problems with Ice Cube really anymore. Like I said, I wasn't really thinking too deep into it when I was a kid, man, but listening to it now, you get to really see Ice Cube's genius, you know, Ice Cube's uh, vision, you know, even though he came across to the masses, the populace as being ignorant, he, he was the furthest thing from being ignorant. That dude was, that brother was, it was, was intelligent, man. I mean, and then you, know, Very you, come, intelligent. you come to this, to this album right here and he, he, he kicks you off with that, that artistry, you know what I mean? That, uh, that intelligence, you know, he, he had something to say. And the first thing he said was, forget about that old Ice Cube, I'm killing him off. I'm bringing you the new version, the new and improved version of Ice Cube, and he's, he's been doing it ever since. And one of the best things about this album to me, man, is the fact that I'm kind of akin to the street cat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like the guy in the black hat. But for me, man, I like the fact that the hitman made it. 
You know, because typically you see in every gangster movie who who gets killed first, the hitman, right? The henchman, mm -hmm. you know, or the henchman doesn't doesn't make it out on his own because that's Scarface, right? Yep. Scar Scarface was the quintessential hitman, right? And didn't make it. Cube henchman went out on his own, switched up his thought to become a boss, and made it. So to me, it's that ultimate metamorphosis of how someone's career and persona began in this small little space mm -hmm. as a henchman. You know, that you, you said it so well, man, with the fact that when he left NWA, it, he took the muscle out of their hustle. No one now is afraid of NWA. The hitman has left the building. Produced by the Bomb Squad and the Lynch Mob. <laughs> Teamed up with P.E. Who's messing with that crew? This dude just served notice to everybody in the game. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't walk through the door. I didn't even kick the door off the hinges. I blew the house up that the door was attached to, and I'm sitting in your backyard. I mean, Ice Cube didn't pull any stops. I mean, he came, you know, punch you right in the mouth on the first track. I mean, he continues to train. Ice Cube, he's mad as hell. You see what I mean? And he called out very specific areas. He told you exactly what he was mad at in this track. Number one, this theme carried over from uh, NWA. He's mad at the police. Number two, he's mad at black folks that's too black. And that's what I was talking about in the intro. P.E., I mean, shit, they don't get more black than P.E. You know what I mean? The third thing he's mad at, of course, NWA. The fourth thing, the rap game in, in, in general. The fifth thing, Soul Train. <laughs> and then last, he's mad at, at um, Arsenio. And I was actually surprised to hear about that. And if I remember correctly, didn't uh, him and Arsenio talk about that? Yeah. I think when he went on for his second album, him and Arsenio talked about that. And I, I can't remember what he said, but it wasn't any, I, I don't think it was, a lot of malice. Mm -hmm. I just think, like we had already said, NWA couldn't get on the Arsenio Hall show. He said, do I like Arsenio? I like him about as much as the Bicentennial. <laughs> I mean, who gives, basically he's telling him, I don't give a shit about Arsenio. But that was at a different time in Arsenio's life too. That was at a time when Arsenio would sit up there and could be talking to a guest and all they have to do is whisper Eddie Murphy. And he'd be like, Eddie Murphy's coming on? Wait a minute, wait a minute. He'll shut the whole interview down because he was Eddie Murphy's lap dog. He was his boy. I got friends that I could say, you know, I'm real tight with, but I would never shut a show down just because they coming on. Mm -hmm. We're not putting Ice Cube on when his music was hot in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But later on, we see that he was doing the right thing by doing some of that, because as soon as he put on uh, Honorable Minister, Minister Louis Farrakhan, yeah. it got his black butt off air. Well, you know what that's all about, right? 
that whole situation is about anti-Semitism. Who runs the yeah. media? You know, so who runs the media and what the minister preaches are in direct conflict to one another. He probably warned before that show. He was definitely warned before that show, probably. which is also why the other uh, entertainers who weren't really friends of his mm -hmm. and who couldn't really risk it, the ones who could risk it, like the Eddie Murphys, because I'm Eddie Murphy, I'm a brand right now. Mm -hmm. You can't shut me out. Mm -hmm. But let's just say, for an example, uh, fledgling Chris Rock. Yo, dude, I can't do your show no more, man. My career isn't at that point. So, you know, they had to back. It, I mean, and on one hand, you know, the community wants to say, the community at large, that is, and hold those actors and actresses accountable for that. Well, that's their job. That's how they feed their families. Mm -hmm. And if putting bread and food on my table, and this may sound a little off beat right now, especially coming from me, but if putting bread and food on my table is going to conflict with something like a theology or an ideology, depending on the situation, I got to go, I got to come down on the side of putting bread and food on my table. Hey, I can't say I would do any different, man. I really can't. I mean, I mean, Dad, let me ask you. Back then, would you have done Arsenio after that? Like I say always, let's be clear about one thing. I don't give a fuck. That's who I am. You know what I mean? My job on stage is to make you laugh. Mm -hmm. If I made you get one chuckle out during that show, I did my job. Mm -hmm. So for me to worry about what the mainstream media is going to do to me when I know who I am, that's the problem with a lot of entertainers nowadays. They sit up there and they, oh, my image, my this, my that. You know what? As long as I live the right way and I'm not out here, my phone ain't got little boys' booties in it and all kind of other stuff. As long as I'm living the right way and I ain't out here falling asleep because I'm that drunk, I shouldn't have to worry about, oh, well, you know, my image, my image. I'm not going to sit up there and talk negatively about any race, creed, color, religion, sex. That's not me. I do what I do, and I'm a comedian, and if you don't like what I do, then understand it's just jokes. But if I do offend you, sorry. It's my job to push the envelope. Good point, man. So, I mean, if we kind of just try to hit on everything that Ice Cube was mad at in this particular track here, yeah, I mean, the next thing he was mad at, Soul Train. It was, it was, it was crazy what he, the points he made about that. I mean, Soul Train is an institution especially for us, you know what I'm saying? He talked about how Soul Train lost their soul. You know what I mean? Just call it Train because the bitches look like hoes. Did he have a point or no? You know, back then Soul Train was about, you know, celebrating, you know, African-American music, celebrating the artists and everything like that. Soul Train, you watched it for the Soul Train line mm -hmm. to see them girls come down there. That's, that's back in the years of the sticky socks and cigarettes. Mm -hmm. You can sit up there and watch the Soul Train line there's a lot of dudes had a lot of sticky socks after watching that Soul Train line, and they went and smoked <laughs> cigarettes, and then went and got their hair cut. <laughs> so seeing girls dance all half-naked, you know, that was just hookers on wax to me. It, thank God they finally let that Chinese girl go with the long hair. Damn, remember that? Remember her? <laughs> yeah, I, whew, I think she came down there in a wheelchair and some crutches, and she, she had uh, Alzheimer's by the time she finished dancing there. <laughs> Towards the end, man, she looked like just splat. Like yeah. like her body looked like some balled up homework. It was just bad. All right, what about the rap game? I mean, Cube was mad at the rap game too. Back in 1990, he, he specifically said he's mad about the crossover and he's mad about the, all the dancing. 
I can't give it that. Yeah. Rap has, you know, it has its, it has its elevation and changes for it to turn into dancing, which that was happy rap time. You had to have that. Mm-hmm. It went all over the place. Rap has touched just about every part of this country. Mm-hmm. So he can't say, oh, he was unhappy about it. it, was, it it's an, it's an evolving process. Yeah. Cuba's trying to keep it gangster, you know what I'm saying? And, I mean, at its core, at its core, hip-hop is not about that. You see what I'm saying? I mean, Cube definitely told you how he felt about it, though. Listen, at the end of the day, man, you already know, and I just want to keep sticking with that theme about him being a hitman because that's why my older brother liked him. That's who, my, that's who really helped me understand who Ice Cube was. Um, but at the same time, man, you got to realize, dude is not... He's not coming out here to try to be somebody that you want to be friends with. <laughs> I'm not out here to be your friend, yo. You know, sometimes the truth offends. Yeah. And I'm going to, and I'm about to offend a whole hell of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Which is why he labeled the track the nigga you love to hate. Nobody was saying what Ice Cube was saying the way Ice Cube was saying it. PE was saying it in a way that was more palatable to the masses than the way Ice Cube was delivering his message, which is why he couldn't get any play. Yeah, Ice Cube was pushing it, it is, him out. It, right, mm-hmm. right, it, right, exactly, exactly, which is, which, is, which, is, which is so apropos for we're doing this, this LP at this point in time, you know, with what's swirling on around me mm-hmm. with, with my dad passing, because he was the same way, I want to punch you in the mouth. You know, I'm the nigga you love to hate. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm going to be 100% authentic with you. And guess what? There's nothing you can do about it. Why more niggas independence than college? Now, because of that line, I might be your cellmate. He's telling you, because I'm awakening and because I'm shining a light on all this crookedness that's out there, and I'm putting it and I'm waxing it poetically in such a way that the masses can hear it because I'm using this new phenomenon of a medium known as hip-hop. 1990, right? Mm -hmm. The war on drugs. So he saw the the mass incarceration rates increase dramatically with the cocaine that that the government was putting in the hood. Crack cocaine in the hood where he lives out in South Central and then you have the cops and the political system coming and making laws to arrest the people that are selling the product that the federal government has given them. The nigga you love to hate. What does he say in the very second line of this track? That's why I'm sick of getting treated like a goddamn stepchild. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about his race, his, the people, his demographic, metaphorically. He's talking about all of us. We're all getting treated like a stepchild. This is more than just some dude spitting over some beat. That's hip hop is way more than that. And podcast listeners, the ones who tune in faithfully, the people who are pumping the pages, you guys know that. And this is what we gotta get the art form back to. Just the authenticity of it.
next track, America's Most Wanted. I mean, this just sounds like straight up NWA track right here. He's angry, you know what I'm saying? It's about, it's about you know, Ice Cube verbalizing what he pissed off about. But the essence of NWA is all there. I mean, am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, you're 100% right about that, man. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as we already said, man, he is the hitman. Yeah. And he's telling you right now, from the very beginning, with America's Most Wanted, how I feel about the entire game. I'm putting everybody right here in my square circle, mm -hmm. and I'm taking aim at everyone. No one's safe, because if you ever cross me or if I felt like you crossed me, I'm coming at you right now. Yeah, man. It's also, I think, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got a couple different things going on in this track right here. He's also talking about black youth. You know, and the thing that really hit me when I listened to this song, went back and listened to it again, you could release this song today, and it'll hit hard. It'll hit hard on the nerve and on the pulse of what's going on right now, <clears throat> you know, with regards to race relations in the U.S. Uh, some of the things that he, he pointed out on this track are still relevant and still very, very poignant today. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. He's another one that you can honestly say was ahead of his time. Yeah. Because a lot of his lyrics, like you said, if they were released today, mm -hmm. would still be relevant today. So there's there's not been any any breakdown in his lyrics over the years. Yeah, He's been consistent, and that's what you need to be in this game is consistent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the very end of the song. I mean, he's talking about, you know, some of the things that he's into, some of the things that he's doing, you know, from a, from a, from a criminality standpoint. He says, the police didn't pay no mind, but when I started robbing white folks, now I'm in the pen with the soap on the rope. I said it before, and I, I still taught it. Every motherfucker with a color is most wanted. Um, he's talking about, you know, the black youth. He's talking about what it is, what it's, what's allowed to go on, and what's permitted to go on in the hood. They just keep it there. They don't really do nothing about it, but if we cross over and start, you know, doing those type of things, you know, in the white neighborhoods, then all of a sudden now it's a problem, it's an issue. I mean, what's the difference between that and what's going on today? There isn't a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that and in, its, and in itself tells you where the problem is, because if there isn't a difference from 1991, this was mm -hmm. released? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about 25 years mm -hmm. and things are still the same. Like you said, you can release this right now today and everything that's in there will still be poignant. Yeah. So does that say that Ice Cube was ahead of his time? Like like Det said, I, I think it's, you know, a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But is it also to say that he was also just talking about what was going on right then and there? Mm -hmm. Because these same things, don't forget this is right after, and I hate to keep bringing it up because, you know, I, I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but this was right after that cocaine tsunami. Yeah. This was right after the crack explosion at the end of the 80s. Yeah. You know, you have double-digit inflation. You had so many things that were going on that so many people turned to drugs, whether they were selling it or using it, or a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. It was touching everybody in the hood. So he's telling you right now, in America's Most Wanted, that basically everybody who's black and brown is America's Most Wanted. To me, when I heard this, it just didn't speak to me about Ice Cube because to me, he laid down so many different types of people. Now, on the surface, the lyrics just seem as though he's just talking about himself, but he lays down so many different different types of people who are all getting gaffled by the system. Mm -hmm. And so if he's saying that basically we're all America's most wanted. You know, the only people who are getting off 
point blank. <laughs> it's the Caucasian. Yeah. That's what he's saying here. You think about how we got here, how we got here to this album right here. He was part of probably at the time what definitely was the, the hottest hip-hop group <clears throat> of the time. You're talking about early 90s, you know, late age, early 90s. And he just left. He just leaves. You know what I'm saying? He stood up for what he believed in. He knew that he was getting hustled, you know, by, by Jerry Heller and Easy, And he just leaves right in the middle of all of that. So he stood up for himself and he made his album. But the theme throughout I, the majority of this album also, he's standing up for, you know, for the black community as well. And every song hits hard and sits on top of that theme. You know, and, um, you know, he starts it in track one, he doesn't let up until the end, track 16. You know, and Ice Cube, you know, that's pretty much how he's done throughout his whole career. He just always stand up for something, not falling for nothing. You know what I mean? No doubt, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I definitely 100% agree with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't even say it any better than the way that you said it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just looking at the lyrics, and from, very, from, from the jump off from verse one, he's kicking the door down with America's Most Wanted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ice, Ice Cube has got the 411. <laughs> you know, he's telling you right there, I have the information about everything that's going on in the system. Mm -hmm. And if you really pay attention and get, back and get past the, the, the curses and the swears and what you find a little bit offensive to your ear by the verbiage, there's a lot of message here. This is not ignorance. I mean, Ice Cube's trying to tell you something. He's telling you in his own way, but he's telling you something right here. No doubt. I mean, he, he's telling you back in the day, I used to do my share of dirt. Yeah. Sometimes I got away clean. <laughs> Sometimes people got hurt. But I think that speaks more to the plight in which he was growing up under that he had to do his share of dirt. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just that's just how it goes. You're if you always are involved or live in and around a criminal element, crime is going to touch you in some way, shape or form, you know, especially especially if they're trying to push something forward yeah you know what i mean if they're trying to do better than there's than than their circumstances you know what else i like too about ice cube and the way he does things man i remember distinctly hearing these tracks for the first time back then back in the 90s you know i'm thinking that ice cube was going at this artist and that artist and if you go back and you really really dig into the lyrics ice cube really didn't do that you know what i'm saying he basically was big on telling you who he was you see what I'm saying? Like, for example, you look at uh, verse 3, at the end of verse 3. He says, um, you know, I'm going to beat the whack with a payoff. Cop got a layoff. FBI on my dick. Stay off. I'm not a rebel or a renegade on a quest. I'm a nigga with an S on his chest. He's telling you, I'm not public enemy. I'm not tribe called quest. I'm cute. You see what I mean? And, um, you know, I got a mission here. My mission is here to expose the system for what it is in my own special way. And I'm grabbing my nuts But when it comes to getting in a circle I'm in sevens turning broke niggas purple Looking for little What they hitting for This is a short Short little cut About the crap game About hustling Really really no No substance into it Other than Cube kind of letting you in To uh, his environment What it's like you know To, to hustle in uh, South Central LA You know um, 
I remember listening to like tracks like this, just kind of hit around the same time. Was this before or after Boys in the Hood? This was before that. Oh, was it after that? This actually was released first, but it was around the same time mm-hmm. when John Singleton approached him okay. and told him he had a part for him. Okay. So the album had just gotten released, mm-hmm. and then Ice Cube talked to uh, John Singleton, and that's when he uh, ended up uh, doing uh, Doughboy. I just remember, you know, watching those movies. The you know, Boys in the Hood and Menace. I put both of them together. Boys in the Hood and Menace Society, even though they came out at different times. I remember looking at these movies and thinking how strange and how outlandish that whole West Coast environment was. Right? Like I couldn't I couldn't relate to it. You know, not only, you know, what they were doing, but like the language they were speaking. And we talked about that on the Outcast album. They were speaking the West Coast slang, but just the way that they went about their business. I mean, we didn't do nothing like that over over where we were on the East Coast. And I think, you know, tracks like this one here, even though it's really not, it's really not about nothing, it's just about hustling. But listening to them banter back and forth in the background, listening to kind of what they were into, playing craps and all that, I mean, that's what had me mesmerized about tracks like this, you know? Right. I mean, it's just it's just cats in the hood doing cats yeah. in the hood stuff. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm turning your fat pockets skinny. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Fade me. This is the same old story right here, right? I mean, you know, just with a with an ice cream twist on it, you know what I mean? Creeping with that girl with the fat ass, you know, but you were ashamed, you know what I mean? You don't want to be seen with her. When I was in college, we called them the moped girl. You ever heard of that? Nah. Uh, nah. Uh, yo. <laughs> the moped girl. So what's a moped, right? A moped is, is, is a little small little motorcycle. You know, you don't want nobody seeing you ride it. But it's fun as hell, you know what I mean? So you kind of sneak off and you ride the moped, you're up and down the street, but you were just real embarrassed for people to see you riding it. So that's what a moped girl is. She, she, got, a, she got a fat ass, you know what I mean? But she ugly as hell. She's real fun to be with. <laughs> that's a neck. <laughs> that's a neck down all-star. Yeah, exactly. Plenty of nights that I had them sneak off. Like, yo, man, I'll be right back. But my stomach hurt, man. Yeah. I'm going home. And we know you lying. <laughs> we know you lying, because everybody knows you with it, right? <laughs> Nah, nah, hey, I was good. Hey, but, but, is this, <laughs> but is this the new? Is this the old school trap queen? <sighs> Pretty much. Just to just to, just to bring it all the way forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Cube did it first, man. He, he brought it all the way around. Boy, he, he he brought it full circle. You know what I mean? She got pregnant and everything else. Try to you know try to set him up, and then uh, he got right. you know what I mean. But um, 
I think though, I think if Cube could go back <laughs> and and write this song again, he probably wouldn't have used some of the examples that he did in this one though. Talking about kicking her in the stomach and using hangers and all this and that to 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 resolve the situation. But yeah, man, this is this well, thing. no, he, he put it out there like that's what he was thinking. He ain't put it out there like that's what we doing. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, that's, I'm thinking of it like that. That's oh, uh, me and her could do this, or, or I could do that. This is what I want to do to it. Right. He ain't saying he actually did it, but I mean, we got to be honest. How many cats out there that had that? Uh, you know, everybody done had that that night where you're like, oh god, mm-hmm. oh man, <laughs> and you got sit up there thinking like. You know, like how uh, Tracy uh, Tracy Morgan said, I think I fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you got to sit up there and look at it like that. Like, oh, man. Either that chick is evil or she's a mud duck. To the listeners, let me let me explain something right now. I don't down anybody by the way they look or anything like that. And I barely curse. It was just funny. I just cursed them. But I barely curse on, on, on air. But the bottom line is... I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I'm not uh, one of the the, the the roses in the garden. But you know what I'm saying? I'm one of the flowers, so I, I can get, at least get 10 weeds. I'm going to get somebody. <laughs> so somebody sit up there and, and feel like, oh, he, he, what does he look like? He talking about this and that. Listen, I'm attractive to somebody, somewhere, somehow. Mm-hmm. So in some town, somewhere, somebody is loving this. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. And at the same time, that's the same person that's killing a roach with a slipper. (laughs) You know, I just like messing with that. Just, no. Seriously, though, the funny thing is, you ever seen somebody so ugly as something sexy about them? (laughs) You just be like, you know, you're ugly. There's some sexy shit about you. Something about you just sexy. You're ugly, though. You're just sexy. Hey, like my father used to say, everybody needs love. They do. Everybody needs it. Sure. Tap somebody on the shoulder and say, I love you. Or look in the mirror and say, I love myself. So you got to do something. Mm-hmm. This, this, this is that track, man, where Q just basically said what everybody was thinking, you know? Yeah, basically. Said, it's, it's, thank God it came mind. out looking like the next door neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> My thing is, what does the terminology don't fade me mean? Some people may not even understand that. You can't fade me. So it's, it's like, yo, you can't play me out. You yeah. can't sit up there. You can't treat me like a boo-boo to fool. I'm not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> but, you know, some people may not understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And he's just sitting up there telling this chick, you know, chick, you can't fade me. I knew it was this scam all from the beginning. And I'm going to tell you the truth. My thoughts about it when I first heard this, because I was young back then, I was just like, oh, he got caught up. Then later on in life, when you're an adult, Mm-hmm. Well, I was an adult then, but you, you you mature enough, you sit back and you say to yourself, like, yo, he went raw up in the neighborhood hope. But you know what, though, man? That's the oldest story in the world, though, right? I mean, you get warned. I mean, how many times have, when I say you, I mean us as men, how many times have you been warned about this about this game right here? You know what I mean? From, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's like the one dude to go to the strip club and fall in love with the stripper. Yeah. It's Happen. like, come on, man, stop that. Happens. <laughs> it happens every single day. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, I'm, I done seen it happen too many times. Being in the comedy game, the only people that actually were able to keep our schedule back in the days, back in the 90s, were other entertainers, strippers, drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Those were the only three because we don't come home till like 4 or 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So back then, those are the only ones that you, you see – you know, comics in a strip club before they do their next show or something like that. Or you see the drug dealers in there because 
hey, we're getting off these streets. It's cold out here tonight. I'm sold enough. Let me go in the, in the strip club and hang out. So you see it. And then you always see that one dude falling in love. You, you ain't got to do this. You know, <laughs> you ain't really got to be up on stage dancing in front of these people like that. Yeah. And the stripper give you the same story. I'm just trying to, I'm just paying for college. As much as she paying for college, she should have straight A's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Q said in the outro, he said, I don't fall for the okie doke. And before I fall yeah, for the okie doke, exactly. I let the pistol smoke. Exactly. I ain't the one to get gaffling. I used to do the gaffling. <laughs> what you used exactly. to do? Jack them motherfuckers for them Nissan trucks <laughs> right in the drive through <laughs> Nigga, get your food, leave it in the car, nigga, get out. <laughs> Listen, man, when I used to hear this joint, I used to crack up just yeah. at the very end of them in the pool hall. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because that's because, you know, the pool hall and the barbershop, those are where conversations like that take place. Mm-hmm. You remember when the Mac slapped dude down and said, boy, when you, next time you hear grown folk talking, you shut up, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> that was in the pool hall. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the fact that they're shooting in the pool hall and you, what you used to, and you hear people antagonizing dude to tell the story. I mean, and it's all about like that. And you have already said about not getting faded. Yeah. And here's a guy who said, I don't get gaffled. I used to do the gaffling. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the, you know, the age old hustle. Yeah. You know, somebody trying to get over on somebody else. And all we're doing is talking about all the different ways people try to get over. Mm-hmm. Irrespective of gender, irrespective of race, because you can throw, you know what I mean? You could throw the top layer on top of this thing and talk about Wall Street. You know what I mean? Because they gaffle, you know, so you can look at you can look at this from a lot of different perspectives, mm-hmm. which is which is part of the genius of the art form, because you can make it apply to pretty much anything if you look at it through the lens, but just put different language on top of it because everybody's getting over on somebody. Once upon a time in the projects, yo, I damn near had to wreck a hoe. in the parking lot she said fuck them cause they get sparked a lot i sat on the couch but it wasn't stable and then i put my knights on the coffee table her brother came in he's in the gang banging cause he walked up and said what set you claim i don't bang i rock the good rhymes the whole scenery reminded me of good times i don't like to feel bad i'm put in a rut Next track, Once Upon the Time in the Projects. Now, this is this is the hood record right here. <laughs> uh, my favorite, my favorite. Yeah, this is this is the hood record right here. I mean, he basically runs down the checklist of everything you would see in the hood. He talks about gang banging. He talks about collecting county checks. He talks about teen pregnancy. He talks about getting caught up in the crack house. He talks about the drug bust. And the moral of the story, he says it right there at the end. Don't mess with the project, girls. You can avoid all that, just don't mess with the project. You missed one part, though. He says something that's, that's ringing in a lot of people's mouths today. What's up? He, he sat up there to the young end who needs to pull his pants up. Yeah. How many of us are all saying that nowadays? Like, man, pull your pants up, man. Respect you. I was in a barbershop the other day, and this white kid walked past. 
He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I catch everybody later. And I said, yeah, man, you seem like a cool dude, but do me a favor, pull your pants up. Everybody in the barbershop started laughing. I said, come on, man, respect yourself, man. I said, I got my own ass. I don't want to see yours. And everybody was like, oh, you just wrong. I said, no, nah, it's the truth. Who wants to sit up? I think that's so disrespectful for everybody to have. What you got your pants underneath the cup of your butt for? For what? Odell Beckham ain't going to be your friend. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> that ain't right, y'all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me dye my hair and act up on the field, too. But yeah, man, this track, I mean, he just goes in on the whole project environment. You know what I mean? He just... Yeah, I remember one time one of my boys came to Pittsburgh to party. Ended up hooking up with this one chick from the hood. <laughs> so before he went to her house, I was like, give me, give me everything you got on you right now. <laughs> I was like, because she ain't getting it. Because you don't want to listen to me right now. That that ain't the one you need to be going home with tonight. But anyway, he went home with her. I took all of his jewelry off him. <laughs> all of his money. Left him some money for a jitney. Dude called me the next day and was like, yo, man, I appreciate what you did. But shorty, she was all right. <laughs> then he was like, but she did have a gang of kids. She had like five kids running around at <laughs> six, seven o'clock in the morning. Hey, remember that movie House Party? When kid and play, they went to the project to pick up what's her name, Shireen, and then yeah. the and then the house and the little boys making Kool Aid. And he's dumping all that sugar in there. And he's stirring it. He's stirring it with his hand. Yeah. Yo, I remember watching that movie and everybody I was with was laughing, and I didn't understand what was funny because that's exactly how the hell we made Kool Aid. <laughs> That's exactly how <laughs> we, had, we had. Listen, the wooden spoon was too short. It wasn't yeah. my fault, so I'm, yeah. I'm in the Kool-Aid <laughs> my wrist yeah. every time. Yeah. You got a little wrist in that Kool-Aid. Yeah, man. And that's why wash our hands up to our wrist. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that, you want to talk about some light skin problems? If it was some red Kool-Aid, my arm was red for the rest of the day, man. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> that is that's, that's Stop. real nasty. <laughs> I wasn't the only one stirring it like that. Come on. And you know what? Now that John said that about the spoon be too short, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. You get a spoon out the drawer, you know, like a little cereal spoon to stir it up with, and it's not long enough. So your whole arm ended up being down there up to your elbow. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. You might say, there's a, there's a spoon. You pull your arm out, half your sleeve, it's all dripping. <laughs> and your mother says, what does your mother always used to say? I'm glad I ain't drinking that. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm some chick's house and somebody knock on the door without the password and her mom grabs a 12 gauge Mossberg, you know what? <laughs> you and I just stopped dating. Yeah. <laughs> right at that moment, once mama handles whatever she needs to handle with that 12 gauge, you and I, we ain't, we ain't, we may be able to do some business, <laughs> but we ain't dating no more. A message to the Oreo cookie. No matter how much you want to switch, here's what they think about you. You gold teeth, gold chain wearing, fried chicken and biscuit eating, monkey ate baboon, big die, fast running, high jumping, spear chucking, 360 degree, basketball dunking, titsoon, spade, mulling yarn. Go the fuck back to Africa. Go the fuck back to Africa. Go the fuck back to Africa. Think about it, fucking sellout. <laughs> Here we go, one station 103.787. And we're listening to, we won't be listening to uh, Ice Cube, America's Most Wanted, because that's bullshit. Get that shit out of here. Straight RB. Straight RB. 
Straight R&B. Where the motherfucking plug at? I'm about to disconnect his ass. Turn off that motherfucking radio. Turn on the radio, take a listen. What you're missing? Personally, I'm sick of the ass kissing. What I'm kicking to you? I'm getting rotation. Nowhere in the nation. Program directors and DJs ignore you. Just simply say, fuck top 40. And top 30, top 20, and top 10. Until you put more hip hop in. Then I might grab it on pretend that you're down with the scene. And go and diss me in a magazine. I'll get your figure, the public can dig. DJ face down in the river. No, it's not a threat, but I promise. I'm as crazy as a come see. Mama didn't love me. All I got is my nine. And the common savage beast, there's the alpine. Next track, turn off the radio. Now, I anticipate, I anticipate a lot of controversial discussion on this one. Because this, is really hit, this really hits a nerve for me right here. Especially more so now than before. I mean, simply because, I mean, it starts off, first of all, on one of my... Mm, one of the parts that really got to me on the movie Do the Right Thing. When, remember when Pino and uh, Mookie, they started going back and forth, you know, basically shouting out all the different stereotypes about black, no doubt, about, no doubt. about Italians and all that. That part really got to me, man, when I watched the movie. And that's when I really started getting, I think, socially conscious or more aware about what's really going on with regard to race relations but how it applies now and why we actually do this podcast when it talks about turn off the radio ice cube basically hits on everything that i believe in with respect to what's wrong you know with music i mean what's on the radio is not representative it's not indicative of what i think of what i believe to be real hip-hop there is good music on the radio don't get me wrong man but it's pay for play. You see what I'm saying? And there's a lot of bullshit on the radio. Ice Cube, what he's talking about on his track, you know, he talks, he goes a little bit deeper into it because they're not playing his music on the radio. You know, but I think, <clears throat> I think we're trying to make the same point. You know, Ice Cube has a message. He wants his message to get out. And he's basically saying before this album even gets to the radio, he knows he's not going to play it. And he's going in on him for it. The radio doesn't play with socially conscious. The radio doesn't play music designed to make you wake up. They play music designed to keep you asleep. You know, and um, I think that's what Ice Cube was really going in and really trying to say right here. Well, do you think he started with that type of approach because who he had with him? Don't forget now, there's a lot of PE in this one. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So he's already coming from the perspective of PE, and PE has already been basically, for lack of a better term, silenced from the regular radio. Think about this is 1991, so Fear of a Black Planet has already come, it's already dropped. You know what I mean? So now he's coming with P.E. on his solo album, and he's the hitman from N.W.A. Mm -hmm. America's just getting used to N.W.A. And now here comes their hitman with a voice, and he's traveling with the East Coast hit boys, and everybody's taking hits at the system. No, we're not playing them on the radio. They're anti us. So that's basically you telling me you don't like the radio, but you want me to play you on the radio. That's counterproductive. I'm not going to sit there and let you just punch me in my face. You know what I mean? I'm sure there was more to it than just that. But yeah. I'm sure there was too, man. I mean, I got big problems with the radio. We won't be listening to, uh, to no Ice Cube because that's bullshit. Get that shit out of here. Straight R&B, straight R&B, straight R&B. Where the motherfucking plug at? I'm about to disconnect his ass. Turn off that motherfucking radio. You know, Ice Cube got big problems with the radio, man. We got the same issue. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Was that Jamie Foxx? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't that know. sounds like Jamie Foxx. Yeah, I don't know, man. I got to research that one. It'd be funny if it was, though. Tell me that doesn't sound like Jamie Foxx from when he was playing in that show Living where he worked at the hotel. Nah, the, when he was working at the hotel joint. Oh, that's Jamie Foxx show. He had his own show then. Nah, not around this time because Jamie hadn't even hit uh, in Living Color yet. And when he was on Living Color, his voice was a little lighter. It hadn't smoothed out yet. So nah, I don't think that was Jamie. Now let me ask y'all a question though. If you look towards the end of this song, right? They're going in on Ice Cube. I mean, just a little little skit that Ice Cube was doing. You know, I hate him, especially that one guy, America's Most Wanted. Ice Cube, I hate that fucker. Get him off the air. Get him off. Get that rap shit out of here. Let me ask you, back then in 1990, 1991, was, was hip-hop still considered a fad? I mean, remember, people thought this was like a passing phase, that this was just going to go away. Nah, I don't think so. I think by then it was already solidified because we came from 83, 80, 45, actually really 70s. Mm-hmm. And then it slammed in 83, 84, 85. And then you go on further than that to say, all right, 87, 89, 90. And it's still going. So you say, all right, it's starting to pick up steam now. I don't think it was a fad that I think it was just something that they couldn't control. Something they knew was there, but they couldn't put their hands on. The, the labels started trying to say, all right, let's jump on this ship now because this ship ain't going to last too long. And you got certain, uh, certain labels that knew this is a new genre of music. So we can hold on and, and stuff's going to last. Like you got Def Jam that, that grabbed LL, grabbed all the big guys and kept them over there and said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. Then you got some of these other ones. They may have grabbed legitimate acts, but they grabbed them and said, you know what, we don't think this is going to last that long, but we can hold on to these suckers and make the money out of them. We're going to bleed them dry as best we can. You know, it's it, the, the, the music business is a dirty business to be in, but... If you don't have your head on your shoulders on how to run it yourself, you're going to be lost in it. And I think that's where people thought, okay, it's just a fad, so we're going to drain the money. So it made it even uglier for some of these people and some of the contracts these guys were stuck with. Same thing they said about rock and roll. Oh, it's just, you know, it'll be out before you know it. It's just a fad. The only damn thing that died, only music genre that died was disco. And I was so glad when that left. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I honestly think that the um, at that time the music industry didn't think hip hop was a fad. Because mm-hmm. look at it from this perspective: in the seventies, when hip hop started, you know what I mean? Everybody was looking at it like, "Oh, it's not going to be around that long." I definitely agree with that. But by the mid eighties, with Run DMC, you definitely cannot say that. By 91, people were still thinking that hip-hop was going to be a fad. I think what turned over, because look at the number of albums that were released once Run DMC really took off and LL really took off. You look at, just Google the number of albums released in 1987. And also Google the number of albums, hip-hop albums released in 1982. Once they saw that they could basically make money from it in the mid, you know, 80s, 85, that Curtis Blow explosion, Run DMC, you know, so on and so forth. So by the time it got to 91, which is what you're starting to see in 91 is censorship in the music. Why? Because by this time in the music, the artists started to learn how to take ownership so now you see the beginning of the fighting of the money. That's what's going on right now. Hence the reason why Ice Cube left. 
because the money, don't forget, 77 through 85, nobody was making any money in hip hop. Yeah. You talk to Curtis Blow, you talk to Grandmaster Flash, you talk to Melly Mel, you talk to all those big time framers, those, those godfathers. They weren't making any money in hip hop. It wasn't until Run DMC with the crossover really started making money in hip-hop. So then it was like, oh, cool, we're making money. But then when, again, the artists started to take control, that's when, oh, wait, we got to censor it. Rock and roll, Ozzy Osbourne, Kiss, and I can keep, you know, Black Sabbath, all these. These folks were doing animal freaking rituals on stage at their live shows. They were killing animals and all this nonsense. How is that less damaging to the mind of a youth than saying, motherfuck the cops. Or let me put it in the inverse to help people understand it a little better because sometimes my mind works backwards. How is it that saying, motherfuck the cops is more damaging to people or the youth than watching live animal killing rituals on stage at a show? That was happening all through the 70s. There was magazines on it where they got blood dripping down their faces and all this other biting the heads off of bats and all this. I mean, that's what it was. Nobody was talking about censoring the music. Wasn't even a conversation. But now you have this new art form called hip hop. And then you see, okay, we're going to make money off of it. Columbia Records, Run DMC, you know, Def, Def Jam. We're going to make record. We're going to make money. Everybody's happy. Got your Adidas contract on the side. Ooh, that was slick right there, Run DMC. We ain't see you being able to be that smart to make money off the merchandise that we're putting on your back because we were already making money off that merchandising deal on the back door, but you didn't know about that. You know what I'm saying? You didn't know that we kind of, you know, put it in there for you to wear those lead jeans. And okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, wear that. Yeah, by the way, you know, our CEOs have already talked. We got a little piece of that. But you're going to get your money on your front-end marketing deal. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, good good job. Because they because they were controlling, the industry was controlling how much money Run DMC and LL and everybody was making. Then you got this whole West Coast thing, and as art grows, people become smarter. And then what happens? I want to own my masters. You got, you know, Fred Sanford up on there for his daddy. I want my daddy's records back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There it is. So many people were starting to do the money grab in the hip hop because now they, they, they've seen it's about to explode and they're about to start owning it. So before they can start owning it, we got to start putting restrictions on it. At the bottom of our news tonight, there's been a new animal aimed in the direction of falling off the face of the earth. Yes, young black teenagers are recorded to be the oldest and the newest creatures added to the endangered species list. As of now, the government has not made steps to preserve the blacks. When asked why, a top law official adds, because they make good game Peace! Don't make me laugh. All I hear is motherfuckers like a sucker tash. Living large telling me to get out the game. I'm a nigga, gotta live by the trigger. How the fuck do you figure that I can say peace and the gunshots won't cease? Every cop killer goes ignored. They're just sitting up.
Yeah, next track, Endangered Species. This one, this track hit me hard, man, because like I said, I'm listening to this LP with a different ear than I listened to it back in 1990. You know, I'm listening to it with a more mature ear. So I think I'm really able to dig into what Ice Cube was saying a lot better than what I did back then. But um, the message that Ice Cube brings with this one, and again, he does it in only the way Ice Cube can. I mean, just like we talked about on America's Most Wanted, that track, you could release this record, specifically this one, right now, and it would shoot right to the top of the charts, man. It would shoot right to the top, solely because, you know, forget about the fact that Chuck D's on it, specifically because of everything, all the bullshit that's going on right now, with the killing, you know, with the everything going on with the police, everything going on in the US right now. This track here applies directly to that. And it was like, you know, Ice Cube got in the time machine, came here, wrote the song, and then went back to 1990 and released it. You know what I mean? See, but that goes that goes along to what I was saying before that people may not understand. Mm -hmm. I joke a lot, but people don't understand how serious that was around the time that Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, when me and my boys made it to 25, we used to celebrate. We used to have a cake and be like, yo, man, you made it. You know, that's serious. We we made it past the statistic. Yeah. I mean, I'm now old enough to look back and say how stupid that was to celebrate something like that. But at the same time, it was a big accomplishment to us. No, Nobody really outside of our race had to sit up there and say, hey, I made it to 25. I'm glad I did, you know, this, I wasn't supposed to. How many other races can actually say that? They can't. We, you know, as, as was Charles Dutton said in that movie, to take it back to the society, the hunt is on and you're the prey. That's the bottom line. You know, I think this track, you know, really kind of disturbed me, you know what I mean? Because of how poignant it is right now. It's literally a reflection of here we are, where we are right now. Every single line, every single lyric in this track. Exactly. And it's even worse when you got your own kind mm. that contributes to this. You know, a species of man has become nothing but hunted prey and, and trophies to some people. Man, please. This this song right here just it this one this one right here boils my blood. Yeah. That's what it does. It boils my blood and pisses me off because there's so many relevant things in there. That people don't know that we face as as uh, black men. He knows the message he's trying to deliver, and it speaks exactly to what you just said. That, and then you throw in Ice Cube's ability to tell a story. I mean, you know, forget about the message for a second. I think Ice Cube and his vision, you know, his lyrical ability to to deliver a story is second to none. I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it. You know what I mean? So he, he's able to he's able to parlay that message against a backdrop that's so realistic sounding. You know, it makes it so much more effective. You know what I mean? And then you throw Chuck D on there, and you know, Chuck D is is stoking the flames in only the way that he can. And you have a very powerful firecracker, for lack of a better word, of a song right here. And do you realize that the uh, guy who uh, put this together, Sir Jinx, mm -hmm. the producer, do you realize he's also the cat that hooked up Cube with Dre? No, nah, I didn't know that. Yeah, man. Mm. And Sir Jinx and Cube were part of a crew before Cube went over to uh, NWA. And they were part of a group called CIA. Okay, all right. I remember Cube was part of a group before NWA, but um, right. Yeah, I don't. I didn't realize the whole history behind all that. But yeah. So the fact that you know what I mean when you see all these different connections and Scott, 
You know how that goes, man. Yeah. All these guys are in the studios together making beats. And as always, you know, I got my cousin over here. I got my dude over there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, I think you and I, you know, talked about two cats that we know doing something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And tried to put them together. Right. You know, hopefully they'll be able to work out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, when you look at the different producers and their careers, when you look at Sir Dinks, he's all up and through that whole West Coast sound. Mm -hmm. So whenever we do go to talk about producers, he's definitely one of the ones that we're going to have to touch on. Oh, for sure. Yo, G, yo, G, you better get out of here, man. 5 -oh. Yo, why is cute, man? Why you, you why is cute, man? Why you always kicking the shit about the bitches and the niggas? Why don't you kick some shit about the kids, man? The fucking kids. What? Little boys and girls, they all love me. Come sit on the lap of ICE and let me tell you a story or two about a punk-ass nigga I knew named Jack. He wasn't that nibble, wasn't that quick. Jumped over the candlestick and burnt his dick. Ran up the street because he was piping hot. Met a bitch named Jill on the bus stop. Dropped a line or two and he had the hoe. At that type of shit, he's a pro. So Jack and Jill ran up the hill to catch a little nap. Dumb bitch, gave him the claps. Then he had to go see Dr. Bombay. Got a shot in the ass and he was on his way. To make some money, why not? Down on Sesame Street, the dope spot. Very saw the lady who lived in a shoe. So dope out the front by the back, marijuana grew. For the man that was really important, who lived down the street in an air joint. Ride to the fella, Mr. Roger the hose. Drove a 500 sitting on Lorenzo's. He broke out, little old people smoked out. Saw her in her Next track, A Gangster's Fairy Tale. Now, this track here was just wrong. <laughs> This was just wrong on so many different levels. I mean, he put the gangster twist on every childhood story that we've ever been accustomed to. From Jack and Jill to Sesame Street. You know, she called Cinderella a hoe. Humpty Dumpty. I mean, it was just wrong, yo. It was just wrong on so many levels. Right. But this was but this was part of this was part of your man Dice. You know what I mean? Andrew yeah. Dice. This is an Andrew Dice clay cut. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget yeah. how popular Andrew Dice Clay was back during this time. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Everybody was flipping it a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, but this right here, this cut right here, this was the this was Doughboy. That's who I, I felt took over this track right here. That was Doughboy. Because mm -hmm. he didn't the, the the B's and the N's all through this song and this, the stuff he was saying, like wow, that's dope boy. That's that's the dude that stepped on the porch. We got a problem here. Is it a problem, right? <laughs> that's dope boy right there. I mean, this is this was the this was the hood bedtime story though, man. I mean, Hickory Dickory Dock. It was twelve o'clock. Cinderella ain't home. Must be giving up the cock. <laughs> I don't doubt it. She's kind of freaky, of course. Had a fight with Snow White. She was fucking the dwarves. Saw a fight over colors too, Red Riding Hood and Little Boy Blue. A bad influence, yo, I don't know, but Ice Cube tells kids how the story should go. It's wrong, yo. This this this, this right here was wrong. Well, all openings wrong, Scott. How does he he got the little kid in the car, yo, Ice Cube? Yeah. You always kick about kick something for the kid. He got the kids cursing. Yeah, yeah. Right in the very beginning. Yeah. And then he opens up with little boys and girls. <laughs> With the, with the, after the profanity laced yeah. <laughs> what follows you? how can you open up with little boys and girls and then follow it with a you know profanity laced tirade for the next three and a half minutes is but it, is what, what is the title of this cut it is 
whole title is against America's. Yeah. Nah, the whole cut. Oh, America's Most Wanted? Yeah. America's Most Wanted. Because, like you said, part of the hook is Ice Cube's want to tell the kids how the story should go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So he's breaking down. No, fuck Santa Claus. <laughs> no, there isn't one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was tripping, though, man, going through this song right here. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know if I remember this joint when I listened to it the first time. I think this might have been the ones, one of the ones I skipped over. You know what I mean? Coming back to it all these years later, man, this is, this is, this is one of them crazy tracks right here that kind of lets you realize that back then, yo, Ice Cube just, Ice Cube didn't give two shits. He was going to do it the way he was going to do it. You know, he was going to make this album the way he wanted to make it. And I think his objective was to be as hood as possible from all angles, man. Because we're going to get into some, into some tracks a little bit later where he, he takes it to the next level even more. <laughs> he, the hitman cannot have morals, man. Yeah, that's a good point. That's you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he cannot have morals on any level because he is the hitman. When you really think about that statement, and podcast listeners, really, 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 really let that statement resonate on you. Just listen to the difference in N.W.A. with and without Ice Cube. It's kind of like having bread with or without yeast. You understand what I'm saying? It's, you need it. The drop-off was just monumental, man. They were just not the same. And I, like I keep saying, man, Ice Cube took N.W.A. with him. He took the whole essence of that group with him. <laughs> hey, hey. Next track, I'm only out for one thing. Now, <laughs> I'm not going to get into this track too deep. I think we all know what he's out for. Ice Cube was never too shy to tell you what it is he wants. I mean, say what you want about Ice Cube. You know, he's he's extremely controversial. But um, I think one of the things, and he's kind of relaxed on it a little bit now, but one of the things he wasn't shy about talking about back then was, you know, his his... his his feeling about females, you know what I'm saying, about what he, what he's, what he was capable of doing. <laughs> so he has a song that's that's about that. You know what I'm saying? He's only about one thing. Listen, man, he already told you <laughs> from the very beginning. You're gonna take it one way or another, but you're taking it. Yeah. It's just that simple. Flay cracks me up with that, man. And Ice Cube comes in with, I knew this girl looked just like you, <laughs> light brown and a flyer, dude. <laughs> So basically what he's doing is whatever happened with her, he's attesting it to you right now. So now you're already short from the very beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think he's taking it exactly from what he was talking about before, but he's putting it in a different arena with, you know, you can't fade me. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? It's pretty much the same thing. Blade, Blade was killing me on this one, man. I'm talking about I fucked this lady in the tree. The baby came out and said, run DMC. Honestly, well, you know, that's Flav, man. Yeah, this is one of them silly tracks, you know what I mean? 
Cube kind of telling you what, right, he, what, he, what right. he's about, but you know, you got Flav on there. You know it's going to be a silly track with Flav's on it. <laughs> Flav, Flav was a, 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 a clown. Man. Right, right, right. Yeah. Took her to the comfort end, tucked her in, <laughs> pulled out the third leg. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think we can say too much more about this one. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying. I tried to preface that when I, when I, when I intro the track. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the title of the track lets you know what this is, what this is going to be. But was it a necessary distraction at this point in the LP? That's a good point, Think man. Think about that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't think so. I, you know I mean, it's yeah. like comic relief because he just hits you with a couple, he just hits you with a couple straight, straight hard ones. Right. With Turn Off the Radio and Endangered Species. Right. That's a lot to digest right there. Right. You know what I mean? And you can almost even throw in Once, a time, once Upon a Time in the Projects. You can almost throw that in because there are some things in there. But really, Endangered Species and a Gangster's Fairy Tale, or excuse me, Turn Off the Radio and Endangered Species, right. you, needed, you needed a mental break. Some don't think I can flow. So here we go to a new track to show the whack. But I can throw styles that show up. I blow up in blast here. Niggas still tripping off the shit I said last year. About a bitch is a bitch is a hoe is a slut. And I don't like niggas on my nuts. So I dedicate this one to the group. And the Another one is really not much to it, but I thought this one here was funny, man. I thought this one was real funny, and um, I got a story to tell you guys that's a little bit embarrassing, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. So this right here, this is this track, get off my dick and tell your bitch to come in. This is like the groupie. This is this is the rules for groupie love, I think. <laughs> From both the men's side and the women's side, right? He's kind of telling you from his perspective, from his point of view, how as a groupie you should behave. And if you were a man, you're not supposed to be about that. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, just say what's up, Cube, and keep it moving. Don't stick around for more than five or six seconds. You know what I mean? But if you're a girl, you gotta know your role. If you're a female and you coming around, Rewind, go back to the track previously. I'm only out for one thing. That's what this is about. <laughs> no doubt, man. I mean, yeah. like you said, he's just he's just bringing it full circle. And basically, you can also look at it from the perspective that he's telling you that he's about his he's about his business right now. Yeah. He has no time to get slowed down by anybody. Right. Not by no females and not by no dudes. Right, right. In any regard. Coming, coming from the street life, somebody trying to slow me down, maybe somebody trying to set me up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because all you know me as is my persona, what you see me as right now. Mm -hmm. So don't come at me right now, you know, with this today view of me and try to come at me with long time love. And I just gave you a piece of the game for free. And y'all can go ahead and rewind that or write that down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's and that's real talk right there. Yeah. You know? Because as soon as you do that, I already done. I, you already done showed me who you are. Right. So out of my face, beat right. it. Yeah, man, this track had me rolling, man. I dedicate this one to the groupie and the Charlie, all of my Snoopy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So check it out, man. I'm gonna tell y'all a little story, man. It's kind of embarrassing. I was on a plane, flying from Houston to uh, San Diego, and we sitting in coach, right? Master P gets on the plane. This is 2000, 2001. Master P in 2001 was, was massive, was larger than life, you know what I mean? He gets on the plane, he's sitting in business class, he turns around, he waves everybody, everybody's clapping and cheering. 
And so, um, you know, I was like, yo, I got to get a, I got to get an autograph. I got to get an autograph. So I waited till the plane landed. We walking through the airport, San Diego. And it was him. It was Silk. And um, some other dude. It wasn't, it wasn't his other brother. It was, and it had to be some bodyguards with him. I don't know. But um, we walking through and uh, he was gone. He was sitting in business class. So he's way ahead of us. So we're walking and my cousin goes, yo, there he is right there. He was to the right. He was on his phone, on his cell phone. So me, like a dumbass, I walk over to him while he's on the phone. And I said, uh, I said, Master P, man, I got to get a picture with you. I got to get a picture. He looked at me like, he's tall. I don't think you guys realize how tall. He's got to be about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, right? So he looked down. Well, remember, he wanted to play basketball. So, yeah, I, yeah, I remember that he was yeah, tall. Yeah, that's right. He, did, he you know, did play basketball. That's right. But he looked at me like, yo, I can't believe this. Somebody's actually talking to me while I'm on the phone. So he kind of turned his head to the side and was like, kind of like whispering into the phone, like, damn, I got I to gotta handle something real quick, you know, talking about me. You know what I mean? So I turned to my cousin and I was like, oh, man, I done did it this time. He hangs up the phone, puts it in his pocket, turns around, looks at me. He was like, yeah, no problem, buddy. Let's take the picture. But I just remember thinking at the time, I was like, yo, man, you played yourself. Yo, T-Bone, what up, dude? Yo, man, these motherfuckers stepping to me, man, talking about the lynch, my man, in the fist, eh? Them motherfuckers PC, them boy, trying to fit up with a penny cap. Word of fuck, matter of fact, I ought to cuff them like a brand new pair of Levi's. Like, roll the motherfuckers up like a fat-ass joint, word of fuck. You can't fuck with the criminal, rapping over gangster shit. First I load the clip, and then I make the hit. I know some of y'all can't fade this. Lynch, my niggas are the craziest. So you and your boys are ass out when I'm rolling in a seven-deuce glass house. The mob ain't nothing but a menace. When we get the motherfucking dog gifts, playing them oldies, I'm pouring out. Rolling with the lynch mob. Now, this right here is one of my my favorite records for the for the most part because this is Ice Cube bringing in his crew, bringing his crew to Lynch Mob. Now we, we talked about it last episode with Outkast bringing in Goody Mob, and this is like the trend, you know. I mean, you got a you know you got a big time artist, you know, on his debut solo album, and he's bringing on his crew. He's holding the door open for them. So this is this is what he's doing here. But I want to quote you guys a lyric, and I want to talk about it real quick. The lyric is: He said some rappers are heaven sent, but self destruction. It don't pay the rent. What do you think about that line right there? I honestly think that he's talking about, you know, all the uh, all the marching and the singing is all well and good, but we need some action behind those words. And self-destruction, for those who don't know from the you know from the podcast world, you can YouTube it. Self-destruction was a collaborative uh, hip-hop cut back in the 80s, and you know it had a lot of the New York famous rappers on it. A lot of them, everyone, uh, tons of people touched on self-destruction. And it was just talking about, you know, black on black crime and things of that nature, hence the title self-destruction. Mm. So I think for me, what Ice Cube is saying here, wow, you know, that's a that's a nice song. It's a catchy tune. Mm. But what happened after the song was finished? Which one of those artists went on to do some activist type work? Now we do know KRS-One, he was in there. We do know KRS-One is a big activist. So other than the easy answer, you know, who else put their money behind their words that they pinned up in that cut? You know what I mean? Or even because that was a very, how can I say, it was a very popular song. So it, and at that time, hip hop was just starting to really make money. So, um, so I'm sure there were some proceeds from it. Mm. Not to compare it to a We Are The World because it wasn't on that magnitude with the level of star power with it. But 
proceeds from We Are the World, some of them did go to the hunger cause right. and, and, and what that was all about. Whereas with self-destruction, you can't say that. You know, it was just a bunch of people, basically what I think he's calling out, just a bunch of people got together to make a nice catchy tune. That's pretty much it. I think he was basically you know, saying, you know, if you're sitting up there and trying to put out a positive message for people who aren't really trying to hear it, you're selling out. That's the way I feel. It's like you're putting out a positive message for, as I talked about earlier, about an industry who really doesn't understand rap really just wants to make money off the, off rap and wants to be blood suckers doesn't really want to sit up there and say hey we're going to sit up here and you know we're going to contribute or be this way with rap or whatever they're just blood suckers and they're there's you know the people that, that cater to that shit excuse me caters they're blood suckers and the people that cater to that stuff basically are selling out they're selling their souls mm-hmm. to sit up there and say you know what i'm just here to make this money so you can either sell dope or get your a a job. Mm-hmm. I'd rather roll with the lynch mob. So he's just saying, listen, you want to get out there and be this way and be that way? That's on you. You go ahead and do that. I'm going to go over here and still run my thug thistle. I'm going to still keep doing my thuggish stuff over here. But y'all y'all little, you know, Uncle Tom's want to sell out over here. And I hate that word, Uncle Tom. But y'all want to sell out over here? Excuse me. Y'all go ahead and sell out. But. I'm not going to do it. And I think that's pretty much the way, you know, the way it looked to me. All right. I'm going to tell you guys while I ask you that question. So I went back and um, I'll post the article on the fan page. There's actually two articles. One was from The Source where they, um, they talked about this album and they rated it. And one was from Rolling Stone. So they talked about this line right here and, and some others, but specifically this one. Right. So some rappers are heaven sent. He's obviously talking about KRS-One. All right, because he specifically references self-destruction in the next line where he says, but self-destruction don't pay the rent. And so I agree with both you and John. But let me tell you, ironically, the source and Rolling Stone, they had very similar um, observations about that line. What they were saying was this is Ice Cube copping to being a tool for the studio bigs. It doesn't matter whether or not I agree or conform to self-destruction. I want to talk about this, this gangster shit because that's what sells records. That self-destruction, that positivity, that self-conscious upliftment bullshit that don't sell records, that doesn't pay the rent. The gangster shit, the killing, the drugs and all that, that sells records. So I'm going to keep talking about that. Now what do you think about that line? I think about it totally different now <laughs> <laughs> from the way that I said. Mm-hmm. But as you started talking, I was like, oh, I see. He's flipping it. To say, I'm not, you know, I'm not going that route. Right. He's acknowledging that KRS is heaven sent. He's talking about KRS right there. I think it's obvious. He's acknowledging that he's, that he's, 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 he's that dude. You know what I'm saying? But, hey, I, I need to make money. You know what I'm saying? And that, that over there don't make money. Then you start thinking about it like that. I mean, I, I had the same kind of revelation that you did, John, when I read it. I was like, yeah, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of telling now. You get, you're kind of getting to see, you know, Maybe Ice Cube was trying to say something right there. Everyone knows the blood's going to sell. Right. You know, I mean, if it, you know, as, as they say in the news industry, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. So with that being a perspective, of course, that gangster life, especially back in 1991, we had just come off of Scarface. I mean, there were, there were so many things that were going on. That person, I mean, Miami Vice had just probably ended its run. 
I mean, there were so many iconic things that were going on at that time mm. in which the gangster life was definitely glorified to the highest degree. So he's saying, I'm going to go that same route. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody's talking about Bill Cosby and, you know what I mean, being that positive influence. Mm. Everyone's over here with this drug game, so I want to get this money. As that said, you know, so you can either sell dope or get your ass a job. He's saying, I'm going to roll with the lynch mob, so I want to, I want to get this money on this, on this gang route. And it's crazy because, you know, when you look at not only this album, but gangster rap as a whole, under this new lens that we just uncovered, it starts to put things into perspective a little bit. I think he was trying to say something right there, man. I really do. Are you saying that he feels handcuffed? The only way that he can make money is to talk bad about his people the same way the drug dealer feels handcuffed, that the only way the drug dealer can make money mm -hmm. is by selling drugs in the hood? See, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a complicated answer, man. I really do. I mean, knowing what we know now about Ice Cube, we might not have known him back then. He was only, what, 20 years old right here, 19, 20? Maybe he was real young. When he was right, right. He, let's just say he was 20, right? The bottom line is we didn't know enough about Ice Cube, the man, to know whether or not he was saying something to us right here. But what we know about Cube now is that he was an intelligent brother. Intelligent. So maybe he was. Maybe he was trying to say something. Maybe he understood some things about the hip-hop industry with regard to their view on gangster rap back then. And maybe he was trying to like, say something about it. Yo, or maybe I'm just thinking too much into it. You know what I'm saying? That's one thing I love to do is dig into the lyrics. But Right, but, right. But what if he was, though? What if he was trying to say something? Maybe he was handcuffed at some point. Maybe he was, you know, trying to say something about some of the, some of the things he was contractually obligated to do. And maybe this was one of his ways to, to unveiling that. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, let's, I mean, again, I mean, I don't think it can be overstated. He was the muscle. Yeah. So, therefore, he's still in that role because he didn't change his name. Mm -hmm. He stayed Ice Cube from his CIA days. Yeah. You know, he, he always has been the same dude. So with that, now he's out on his own. I don't think he can kind of go the other way with that, even if he wanted to. So is he the rapper that, is he that industry rapper that the true lyricists look down on? Because now you don't open up that question. You don't open up that door. Coming at that lyric the way that you just did, you're invoking that question. You think it's fair? Oh, I definitely think it's fair. Yeah. I definitely think it's fair because mm -hmm. we always, you know, we said before in a couple episodes ago that the one, one way to tell the gimmick rapper or the industry rapper is because the message never changes from rapper to rapper, from time frame to time frame. Mm -hmm. And the way to tell the true lyricists is that their message changes, it evolves with time or their message is timeless, one or the other. So if you're looking at somebody who's just caught up in the industry and just being the gimmick, then they're just going to pump what the industry wants. So at the time, while on one hand you had everyone fighting for censorship mm -hmm. of gangster rap, what you're invoking right now is that the industry itself was putting out the gangster rap because they knew it was going to make money, so it was kind of fighting against itself. All right, so let me, let me just ask this question and get it out the way. Is Ice Cube a gimmick, yes or no? I'd have to say no. That? Nah, he ain't no gimmick. And I don't think He's so either. Real. Cube is just himself. That's, that's what it is. You know what? That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So many people have yet to actually just be themselves. Mm -hmm. And he was himself. Do I think that everything Ice Cube said in his lyrics, he actually did? Do I think that his lyrics are overstated, glorified, 
in order to make it more appealing to the masses? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, I think his lyrics are overstated. Yes, I think his lyrics are glorified in order to make them appealing to the masses. Right. No, I do not think that he did everything that he professes in his lyrics. Mm-hmm. So to that degree, yes, Ice Cube is a gimmick as a lot of hip-hop artists are gimmicks. They're living out a character oh, for sure. through their through their lyrics. For sure. All right? Yeah. So to a certain degree, the answer to that question, I think, 99% of the artists who are out there are gimmicks. Well, it's entertainment at the end of the day. I mean, even... Right. Exactly. Even, yeah, exactly. Even, exactly. Even the ones that we talk about on a, on a daily basis here on the show, like the the ones that are about that, that you know, self-consciousness and upliftment and self-awareness. I mean, even some of that is, you know, um, what's what I'm looking for? Even some of that is overblown. You know, they're making a character as well. You know, even though what they're talking about is positive. They're still making it entertaining so that we can digest it. You know what I'm saying? So true. What's, true. what's the difference with this right here? Would I have liked to see a little bit more of, of the evolving of Ice Cube through his lyrics? Yeah, but I saw that through his life, though. One of these motherfuckers different. If I'm not mistaken, this was probably the most popular track on this album, right? It's about it's about the hustle game. You know, he breaks it down into three distinct categories, right? He goes after the pimp game. He goes after that street hustler, the beggar, the one that's you know panhandling at you know in like the middle of traffic and things of that nature. And then he goes after that whack fool in the club, you know, begging in lines to the girls to get them back home, getting the draws. He breaks it down, and, and we all know. We all know people, you know, that fit these two distinct categories. I mean, but you know, this is this is Cube telling it to you in a way that only he can. No doubt, man. I mean, it's definitely a it's definitely a great perspective track. Yeah. Because who's the Mac is all about the perspective of the individual. To a certain degree, everyone feels as though they're playing somebody. Oh yeah. But we all know who's ended up with the upper hand. I like the way he laid it down, and I like how because a lot of his cuts on this was his first slow and smooth. You know what I'm saying? This this was his first ride. You know what I mean? All the other ones were headbangers. You know, this was that slow and smooth cut right here. And I agree, and it, and it, and it sticks to to cubes. Like overall formula, and again, this could be me thinking too hard. We saying that, but I don't agree. I don't agree. Nah, nah, because you can't fade me with that smooth ride too. These couple songs that he had, that one and this one together. Good point. Good point. Say, those are the ones on there that was just mellow. See, I'm gonna tell y'all something y'all didn't know. What's up? Ice Cube. Ice Cube is really a white man. What's that? They called him. (laughs) They called him Vanilla Ice Cube. But because Vanilla Ice was out, they had to sit up there and change it around. Ice Cube. So he's black. You ever notice he? You ever know he always he always got an afro. 
some, it's some, a lot of stuff you got that thick ass though. They don't want you to show that curl. That was dye in his curl. That was blonde locks. Ice Cube white man. What the? <laughs> I'm trying to tell you, Ice Cube white man. So wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's just start from the Where 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 did you get this information? First of all, man, I seen. It. What yeah. happened was he was behind stage one time with the Apollo. I, I thought I was going into, listen, I had to do the number two. So I was going into a room. I said, man, where the bathroom at? They said, around the corner. I was going around the corner. I ain't seen no signs on the door. I opened up a door. Cuban there with his friends. He smoked weed, and they put shoe polish on his face. I said, man, what the hell? And they said, shut the door, shut the door, and threw me out of the room. And I saw on the sign on the outside, I said, Ice Cube and Friends. Later on, the sign said, Ice Cube and Lynch Mob. But when I walked in, it was Ice Cube and Friends. So who's going to change that and say Ice Cube from Friends to Lynch Mob? What a white person. Man. Ice Cube's a white person, man. That, man. That, you know me. I, I ride with you there. I ride, I ride, I ride. But I cannot ride with that. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even get. I can't even stand next to that car before it pulls off. We haven't heard you say WTF in a long time, Scott. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it almost came out right there. You ready to move on? <laughs> <laughs> Last, honestly, honestly, there's one thing else that I want to say about Houston Mac. I think um, his overall formula, I think, and again, this could be me thinking too deeply into who Ice Cube is or who he's trying to be, is exposure. He's all about exposing, exposing, you know, race relations in the U.S., exposing gangster mentality, exposing police corruption. And here we go again, exposing that hustler, you know, mentality. I mean, what y'all think about that? I mean, I think that's part of Cube's shock value. I mean, he uses his lyrical ability to do that. And it's obviously working. Um, I definitely think you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he ends... Because he ends that song with a tirade of bitches, and the other song opens up with a longer tirade of bitches. Yeah. I mean, with It's a Man's World. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely think that he's on that level of, I'm pushing these units out the door. Women, they good for... Wait, 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 Q. Trip this. We gonna dedicate this to the pretty young lady. You know them pretty young ladies that wouldn't give us the play before the album? This is for you. Bitch, bitch on the gag move. Bitches, no bitch, I think you shit. Ladies are beautiful. Bitch on the Bitches, bitch, bitch. Bitches I'm not no bitches. I'm not no bitches. Bitch. I'm not no bitch. I'm not no bitch. Ladies are beautiful. I'm not no bitch. Bitch, bitch. Ladies no bitch. Bitch, bitch, bitch. Bitch, bitch. Back up off my tip for the simple fact you own it like a gnat on the dog's dick. I'm not no with me tonight, I also have Mr. Anthony. What'd you say about my mother, man? Women, they good for nothing. Now maybe one thing. To serve needs to my dinner link. I'm a man who loves the one night stand. Cause after I do ya, I never knew ya. Cause the kick it, man, it gives me the fits. They wanna lay what they nose under your armpits. Ice cube won't wait, so give it up, cow. After we do it, you can go home. I'm trying to say all women are superior over me. Yeah, yeah. But wait, how you gonna 
county check back. Hey, what up? About a couple miss show, yo. I know you like the rapping, like the flow slow. But when it comes to hip hop, this is a man's world. Stay down and play the playground, you little girl. This right here, I think, is an extremely important record. Right, and again, I'm going to throw a softball out there. Well, let me explain it first. I think Cube knows that a lot of what he says is um, is ignorant. Now, I know it seems like I'm bashing Cube. I'm just looking at it objectively. I think he knows that. And I think this is another record on his album where he's actually parodying that. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's bringing in Yo-Yo. They're going back and forth. I mean, if you listen closely to, what, to the message to how Cube is delivering this record... He's giving you some of his most ignorant lyrics, and then Yo-Yo comes back. It's almost like he's he's feeding the fire, he's feeding the flame, and Yo-Yo comes back, he blisters him. And then he keeps on doing it, and then Yo-Yo comes back. I think it's a genius track, you know what I mean? I think this is a Cube exposing himself, exposing the character that he created in the hip-hop game. Now, what's your thing about that? I honestly think that while you're, I think you're right, but I think your answer doesn't go far enough. Because I think he's exposing the mentality of a lot of people as well. I think, you know, this right here, I think he's addressing all the stereotypes about women. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like when he says, um, if it wasn't for me, you'd probably be, uh, you know, pregnant and barefoot. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Without me, you can't do anything. And let's remember, this is at the end of the uh, at the end of the '80s, when unemployment was double digits in the African American community, except for with the women. So this was this was the beginning of a lot of women going to work in the African American community. I mean, they had, don't don't kill me, podcast listeners. Understand what I'm saying to you. When you think back to the '70s, '60s, '70s, and dipping into the '80s. Typically in the 60s, you still had that, you know, one person working. 70s, the same situation. And we're talking about, you know, New York. We're talking about that whole area. We're talking about how, you know, a lot of the industrial manufacturing was going on. So, you know, a man could go to work and support his whole family. That was pretty typical. And on the West Coast, you had the same sort of manufacturing labor type jobs that could afford a family a nice middle class type of survival. And that's when right? he had his side piece and got away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So now this is this and, and that was that meant that mentality that a woman couldn't survive without a man. So now you come out of that manufacturing with all that massive unemployment through Reaganomics and all the manufacturing got outsourced and went overseas. I apologize for giving you guys a history lesson. We're talking about hip hop, but we got to understand the lyrics and why we think this is a genius track. Because I do agree with you, Scott. Because now you figure coming, now we're coming out of that. We're in 91. This is a retrospective. So these lyrics probably came in his mindset probably around 88, 89. So now again, women are permeating the workforce to a larger degree than than males. You know what I mean? They're coming in as far as the entry level, you know? So he's saying to that, he's, excuse me, he's allowing Yo-Yo to speak to that by bringing out the stereotype that without a, a man, a woman's nothing. Right. You know, women's live movement was becoming even bigger at the end of the 80s. So it had crescendoed. You had so many things that were going on with women's rights and women in the workforce. So this was that believe it or not, as ignorant as it sounds, like Scott said, this was a woman empowerment song. Yeah. Because he's given Yo-Yo those softballs 
to just knock them out of the freaking stadium as to here is what some people were thinking. And we're going to smash all those rumors right now. And I'm going to say it in a way that ignorant men think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to call you a number of bitches. I want to call you ho. I want to call you this. I'm going to call you that because ignorant dudes are talking like that at this time in 1991. I really appreciate, you know, Cube doing this, this particular track right here, man, because he gave women a voice on a gangster rap album. When was the first time? I think this is probably the first time this ever happened. It might be the last. <laughs> the first and last time that that's ever happened. And think about how brave Cube had to be. He probably didn't even give a shit. But think about how brave, you know, he had to be to do that. The hell with Yo-Yo. Oh, no. Tell you that right now. She can, Listen, man, it wasn't my fault. She going to get mad at me because she had eyes like Prince. You know, they tell you, you look in Prince's eyes long enough, you turn gay for three seconds. So... <laughs> What happened was, I, she said hello to me. I looked at her like, hello, and I, my eyes perused her body. She, they called it reckless eyeballing, and she slapped me, chipped my tooth. The hell with yo-yo. Ain't even getting nothing, no money to the doctor bill or the dentist bill or nothing like that. And swole my lip up. They thought I was handicapped walking around in the back talking to people like, what's up? How you doing? They, they thought I was crazy. <laughs> they thought I was like little Daryl or something like that. It's just, I was, man, just because she wanted to slap me because my eyes got reckless. Hey. Shouldn't have had all that body. Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo was fine as hell back then. The yeah, she was heavy-handed too. There was a scuffle. Damn it! This turned into a riot, and it spread through Central Park. Negroes threw bottles at the police. Orders to disperse were ignored, and huge crowds swarmed through the street. Right now, he's planning a slum fire that'll kill thousands. Right, terrible. It's like a holocaust to the boss when I toss Too much knowledge kicked in, you're lost in a shuffle of beat Jinx the fiddler, and I control your mind like Hitler You're bowing down to a sword And see now, sucker with a style just for me Source your can O W L E D G E. It might trouble you, then I transform it to receptive kind With a mic as a bomb In my right palm, but I don't stay calm So panic, others can't flow so they go schizophrenic You thought I dropped the dud in your face Until you taste the blood of the Last track, the Bob. To me, to me, this record right here sort of sums up the whole concept of the LP America's Most Wanted. He kind of took little bits and pieces out of every track that preceded it, and he kind of combined it, in my opinion, anyway, to this particular, you know, record right here. It was it was his last chance, one more chance to put to put the Lynch Mob on. He gave them he gave them um, a voice here and. And if you look at the last thing, the very, very last thing that Cube says before he closes the LP out is, so what that lynch mob like? That's the last thing you hear from him on his debut album. So, you know, the motivation was clear. I mean, his, his whole motivation was, you know, show the world that, you know, he's here, he's on his own, he don't need NWA. But then lastly, here's my crew, the lynch mob. All right, so what the lynch mob like? I think it was all right. I mean, I think he could have ended the album a little bit better than this, personally. Yeah, I agree. I do agree with you that um, 
it was kind of like a mashup of a lot of the other beats. Mm -hmm. And for and for me, it was a little confusing. You know what I'm saying? Because I was looking for a summation. You know what I mean? Because we are talking about the America's Most Wanted. Yeah. So are you the America's Most Wanted because you dropped the bomb? All right. So where's that bomb? Is it a lyrical bomb? Is it a knowledgeable bomb? What type of bomb is it? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and it yeah. kind of just, mm -hmm. it kind of left, it kind of left like a cliffhanger for me. You know what it actually reminded me of when he said it being what that mentioned, Bob, like, we've all seen it. And that was South Central, the movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, what that douche be like, termite. And it, it kind of sent me there with it, like, ah, right, you know, it, 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 along those lines, like, is that the way it really was there? It, like it wasn't that hard because they, they had poverty in that movie like the 70s and the, the early 60s mm. that was a, a rough time and he, the kids didn't look like who they were when they grew up mm. they, was, they had a little little uh, uh, light-skinned baby and then when he got j-rocks when he got older he nappy-haired and he dark-skinned that wasn't even right something was wrong but i just think this right here was was too much. You already introduced Lynch Mob. You already introduced Yo-Yo. No need to keep going back in. I mean, Biggie only did a couple songs on Junior Mafia's album to get him out there. Although Junior Mafia's album was banging, he only did a couple songs on it. I don't think that uh, Ice Cube really need to, to come in with this uh, this last part. He should have ended it with uh, a real big banger. As they say in comedy, you end on a high note. And I think he let us down on this last song. Well, I, I yeah, agree. Yeah. I definitely agree. And I, I also agree with what John said specifically about it was very confusing because this was his chance as his debut album to go out with a bang. But he chose he chose to give it all to Lynch Mob. So it was kind of confusing. Like, is, is this, you know, what is this really? Is this, you know... An introduction to Lynch Mob is that what his album is? You know, is, is is Ice Cube now in the Lynch Mob, which he ended up joining the Lynch Mob, right? I mean, isn't that what happened after this album? He ended up joining that group. And yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but he was part of them already. But it's just like I don't, I really don't think that he should have sat up there and went as far as he did to introduce them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it, I, it just went too far. So let me ask you guys something: Where does this album sit with respect to debut albums? from the big the big MCs that we've talked about so far. I mean, where does this fit in the echelon? It's up there. It's up there. It's in the top 20. I'm not going to say top 10, top 20. You got Nas. You got, uh, you, he wouldn't be in my top 20. Nah. This wouldn't be in my top 20. Nah. Nah. I mean, don't get me wrong. For me, and the, re the reason why I wouldn't be in the top 20 for me is because it, there was a lot of wasted space on this LP for me. You know, while, you know, there were, there were some nice bangers, there were some nice hitters, I think he could have come a hell of a lot harder. For me, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this a lukewarm 8, maybe an 8.5 because the beats. And you think about hip-hop's 30 years old, so that's you get the pick. 1.1 album per year <laughs> for how old hip-hop is. Yeah. Because as soon as you start picking... Six from one year, you're being biased. You understand what I'm saying? Because it is the art form, so you got to show growth. So for me, man, don't get me wrong. I like you. I think he's a hell of an artist. But America's Most Wanted wouldn't be on my top ten debut albums of all time in hip-hop. It just wouldn't. 
say what you want about this album, though. I mean, Ice Cube, I think, is one of the greatest, you know, MCs of all time. Cube is a beast, don't get me wrong, but he's not in the top third of MCs of all time. That, you, that, that, that can't happen. Where does he fall? See, again, lists are subjective. I you know them. how I feel about lists. I hate them. You know how I feel. I know. So you know my criteria for lists. I think we covered this before. My criteria is your list does your list is null and void if KRS one is not number one. Absolutely. And whoever you want to have after it, you have after it. Because it's all subjective. Shout out to Fresh Cuts. They are in Landon, New Jersey. New barbershop that uh, I tried out with my son. And they hooked us up real good. So I told them I'd give them a shout out. Thank you for cutting my son's hair. Thanks for doing a good job. Because it's hard sometimes when you find a new barber. Whether they sit up there and cut your hair right. Well, even though they're not cutting mine, I'm a fault. But they cut my son's hair right. It was perfect. Thank you very much. And I want to a, a somber note. I'd like to say, Hello? and please don't ever sugarcoat my words when it comes to stuff like this. Fuck the jury who sat up there and decided that Sandra Land did not have, she was not murdered. She was. And if they found that, even if they found that in the jail, there was no probable cause to indict anybody in there, that sheriff's officer on the street was abusive, he was out of line, and he was a fucking criminal. So, to me, that jury and the district prosecutor who sat, district attorney who sat up there and found no cause to prosecute those officers or anybody in the jail, you need to lose your damn job. Peace. I just wanted to get this t uh, take this time to thank <clears throat> my children for being, uh, uh, you know, unflinching supporters of pretty much anything that I do, being there as a listening ear anytime I want to talk to them and uh, basically let them know how much I love them. Uh, and also, it also goes without saying, you know, HHGA, Hip Hop Golden Age, as being a, a staunch supporter of the podcast. We definitely appreciate you and uh, look forward to 2016 developing much more content uh, for the magazine and also for, for the fan page. Peace. So for this particular week, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on. 
And I would just like to say, you know, we were getting a lot of love on the uh, fan page, of course, with the T-shirts and everything. So that's great. Let's let's keep that up. Also, you know, the uh, Facebook page got us picked up a lot of traffic. So we definitely want to want to want to keep that pumping out there. So keep sharing it. Keep bringing people to the light. We're starting to see the T-shirts uh, orders take place, and people are starting to post those pictures as well. So we're loving that. Uh, also, just like to say, you know, I really appreciate all the love that uh, a lot of people have shown me for my father passing away. You know, it was a, uh, it was definitely not something that was expected. But my family and I are being strong throughout the whole process, and uh, we definitely appreciate appreciate all the love and uh, respect that a lot of people are, uh, you know, throwing throwing our our way. And it kind of makes me think of um, it kind of makes me think of you know different 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 quotes. And uh, one particular quote is, the superior man is he who develops in harmonious proportions his, mor his moral character, intellectual, and physical nature. This should be the end at which men of all class should aim. And it is this only which constitutes real greatness. Now, you can take that to mean a lot of different things. And for me, it's pretty evident when one leaves this earth, the wake that they leave behind them, meaning the knowledge, meaning the people whom they have touched, that to me is the sign of true greatness. That to me is the sign of a person who has not lived for himself, but who, have, who has lived for his family. You know, people make mistakes, no one's perfect, but true men, real men, will tell you what their flaws are if they truly love you. Because if that's the case, then they're trying to prevent you from going down their same path. All because someone does wrong does not mean that they teach wrong. And all because a person does wrong does not mean that that's their character. Because again, looking at the fruit that comes from their tree. So I would just like to say, as you're looking at those around you and your family, friends, coworkers, podcast listeners, whatever, you know, always remember everybody has their own personal struggles. Everyone has their own personal battles. So don't just judge the book by its cover. Look at what that person is really about and understand who that person really is. And that's when you can start seeing the true greatness within people. And then you can start elevating the greatness within yourself. Three minus four. His mind was his own, but the man lived alone. 